Welcome to Film Suck. We are back with uh, episode number 10, and we're calling this Film School Confidential. Um, and we're going to lead off with a, um, an interview with Evgenia, who's just had a series of what looks like uh, incredible experiences graduating from her MFA program in Integrated Media Arts at Hunter College. Um, and just from the from the clips and the images from your graduation, Evgenia, um, it, it <laughs> looks like it was the most incredible event ever staged <laughs> for anyone's graduation. So maybe you could tell us a little about it. Was it Madison? in Square Garden. Let's just start off with that. Oh, you, yeah. You mean the, commence, just the, the commencement event, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that happened just yesterday. So very fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can. I guess I can shortly <laughs> talk about it. And surprisingly, it turned out it's actually almost directly connected to the thesis film I made, which is like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> but okay, basically, this was like an um, over three hour event um, uh, set in Medicine Square Garden for all the um, Hunter students graduating this year, both like undergrads and grads and I think the total might be like, uh, they said 2,500 wow. students were graduating and mm-hmm. so with like their families attending I think it was maybe up to I think they said over 12,000 people were mm-hmm. in Madison Square Garden or more so it was like ha- I don't know it was pretty full basically packed probably yeah. not like Nick's game or whatever usually <laughs> <laughs> it looked pretty <laughs> packed yeah, yeah but it was it was packed it was like impressive yeah. I, I actually I didn't expect anything like that partially because um, the program uh, I uh, I went to this integrated media arts. It's like a tiny program, and um, and in all this like three years, I never like been part of anything <laughs> that huge. So the mm-hmm. commencement kind of like a complete the opposite <laughs> from wow. this like graduate program where you sit with like ten people and like wow. I don't know for like I don't know in some kind of almost like group therapy kind of art school environment, and 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 then this yesterday, yeah. And so what happened is. Um, the uh, they somehow managed the um, director of the entire Hunter University. Mm-hmm. I think Jennifer Rapp. She's like kind of some kind of horrible actually executive <laughs> coming from the private sector to like manage. I think they brought her in to manage Hunter in the which is part of the CUNY public school system. Uh, notoriously not necessarily with that well managed. They wanted basically to make the school more effective or something mm-hmm. and uh so that's the woman who like ran the entire commencement and uh she lured hillary clinton <laughs> oh, <wow>. to speak <laughs> to speak to speak there and hillary clinton like sat there the entire time gave like maybe like a 20 minute speech Which, and by the also, way was, was projected on yeah. the vast mm-hmm. you know the vast oh, screen like a sports screens, event or a rock like, event or something jesus yeah there were like might be five or six screen there were huge screens Ugh. like facing left right forward it was, it was just <laughs> very intense <laughs> yeah but but the funny thing i mean i cannot not say it because i thought oh how they like seeing Hillary on the program like from a week ago when I realized she's coming I was mm-hmm. like how is it possible to lure her in like I think she would like speak at like where she would speak Harvard Yale right but no it, it turned out there was like there was like a little like, almost like a secret thing oh she was the director uh, the president of the president I think now the director of the president of Hunter was giving her some kind of award Eleanor Roosevelt award so oh, gee, that is became, just awful mm-hmm. oh. yes I'll tell you what it all became about her so the whole Hillary thing it was kind of really fun to watch 
how like sort of self-involved she is even coming to the commencement of the public school where like half more than half of the student body is like children of immigrants a lot of people go like the first people in their families to graduate from mm-hmm. school i don't know people are kind of like ex- excited and also i don't know it's just like a certain environment you can probably say at least something kind of like encouraging instead it was all about her getting this award and also complaining about losing that election complaining about <laughs> you know wow. russia gate yeah oh, it's no. all turned into a <laughs> report how everyone should look into it <laughs> more oh god <laughs> yeah she is I, a horrible horrible I've, creature <laughs> Yeah, and the funny thing, I mean, I get it. It's like, again, it was said many times, she broke the glass ceiling or even without becoming a president, it's still like great achievement, blah, blah, blah. But the truth of it is just, she looks like like that person from They Live. We recently talked about that. I mean, she really has a mask on her face, which is like man or woman, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not going to give her like discount because she's a lady. It's just, there's something really abhorring, like scary about her. Yeah. Like a character also from this like basic I kind of like that franchise Purge uh-huh. you know this kind of cheap franchise yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> new founding fathers like this kind of white Americans killing right. the poor people mostly of color or whatever she's kind of like that so even while she's projecting this like smiley kind of weird like face of hers and like talking about some kind of I don't know succeeding succeeding what the American dream is all about basically it's oh. like Hunter blah 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 and how she wishes some sort of I guess success to the new graduates who will have to fix this broken world. She was basically complaining, 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 and then the end of her speech was like, well, but not you now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, like, fix it. She, and she's, she is the worst. I mean, the reason I think she's such a, was such, uh-huh. one of the many reasons she was such a weak political candidate is she's the most, un- she, her mask is the most unconvincing uh-huh. mask ever. I mean, the smi- like weird the smiley fake, kind of, yeah. the mm-hmm. fake smile she does, the fa- she just doesn't look like she there's no way she can project a warm engaged human being she just doesn't do it well at all so it's so hilarious um that she got anointed as supposedly the president to be i'm always amazed yeah it is uh, yeah i actually well i, I won't call names but i kind of want to <laughs> b- briefly introduce mm. the scoop like a very uh reliable one though uh from actually fellow <laughs> pot pot um, like there's like a successful podcast and fellow podcaster uh-huh. told uh, recently me and yasha that um hillary um uh i think during that the election cycle might be like yeah so it was 2000 late 2015 probably Mm-hmm. And during the primaries, uh, she, uh, her advisors, the people around her, forced her to meet with like a really famous big time Hollywood acting coach uh, in New York. <laughs> and um, basically, because th- th- what you're saying about her mask and all mm-hmm. this uncompelling qualities, everyone around her knows about it. It's not like it's mm-hmm. not like people are blind to this, even like the supporters. And sh- they wanted to make her a bit more sort of personable and sort of relatable. <laughs> likability problem yes. <laughs> yes yes and somehow what if she would learn to like smile in a bit more a bit more natural way whatever all these things uh-huh. that are still problematic and uh, the story goes is that uh, that Hollywood couch met her in some kind of like whatever high rise in Manhattan and she stormed out of there in like I don't know half an hour and said she'll never come back and she was like pissed and rude and that, that was that was the end of it oh my god uh, yeah <laughs> she so, should have stuck with the acting coach yeah <laughs> I, she might and who knows it might be like you know 
ego plus like uh-huh. she's famous she's like probably used to being like only pandered to right and oh, if you sure. tell her that <laughs> that her smile and her whole way of being is just <laughs> it's just gusts people <laughs> it's and, like, appalling <laughs> yeah 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 what are you, like she's i think she probably she didn't take it well that. and so that didn't go anywhere even though people clearly tried to go the right kind of they had the right, right idea what they need to do right. Right. Oh anyway, so that, that's like a little side note but yeah so that was that was like a weird shit show but i have to say another thing hmm. it's like i'm not sure like the audience which is like the family of the graduates mostly undergraduates because that's the big body of mm-hmm. students graduating i'm not sure they're like Hillary supporters. It seems like people were cheering for her big time just uh-huh. because she was like a very famous, famous yeah. celebra- big time celebrity showing up at their ch- like at the Hunter, mm-hmm. you know, cu- CUNY graduate commencement, which is like a big thing. But I think that was the only reason. I, I bet some of the people there either voted for, I don't know, who knows, and then might have been Bernie supporters, Trump supporters, whoever. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they're like. Clintonites. That's mm-hmm. that's all. That's another element was kind of weird because people are cheering so much, but I'm like, I don't even know. Do you even like her? Because <laughs> like, that was not like the liberal, you know, it wasn't a liberal kind of lead class. It's like it didn't seem like the Hillary environment overall in the mm-hmm. audience. Right. Oh, people that are excited. Do you think, do people get paid to make these addresses i mean does oh, the colleges good, have to shell out you know what i have no idea because the endowment of hunter is so small um, I, 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 like, yeah, t- how could they tiny. afford her, her speeches, yeah i imagine you know, uh, yeah i imagine they didn't pay and uh this uh, little award i mentioned leonor roosevelt uh, award because hunter was semi-founded i think by leonor roosevelt it was like a woman's college oh my blah, god that so hurts even more than that she got the eleanor roosevelt yeah. award it's kind of oh. disgusting i mean and the whole uh pandering to and like sort of ass kissing yeah. um, Hillary that it was going on for like half maybe like half of the commencement oh, no. <laughs> with pictures of Leonard Roosevelt projected on the screen right oh. aside like next to Hillary you know like split screen oh, I'm like god that's god. why she came because it's kind of yeah. flat you know it's flattering and yeah <laughs> whatever. oh dear god that really and then really god and then the funny thing once she, I think she was like finishing up uh, mm-hmm. her very like fake very prepared speech mm-hmm. and as she was finishing up she would uh, thanked uh, the, the president of Hunter, kind of like Jennifer Rapp. She said like something like, oh, thank you for inviting me, Madam President. And then she said, I don't know if it was a prepared joke, but it's like off the um, cuff. She said like, ooh, that sounds nice, Madam President. Oh, that's got to have been prepared. She yeah, she can't get over it. Oh, she can't get <laughs> over it. Oh. Anyway, yeah. Wow. Well, that, you can tell your grandchildren story. about that event for that sure. Her. American well, horror. <laughs> American horror story. It wow. was macabre. It oh was macabre. God. It was fucking weird. It, no, and the, uh, just the pictures uh, you sent were so shocking. I was just like, yeah, I have my eyes. Videos. <laughs> and I bet they'll post. They were like, it was uh, at least the hill. I, I think the part where the Hillary is speaking for whatever, like 20, 20 minutes, half an hour, mm-hmm. I, that was definitely going to be like all over the internet because usually commencement, when right. commencement speeches are recorded yes. and spread around. Yeah. So uh, the funny thing, the year before I was told by some classmates who created early, Vin Diesel was doing this com- commencement speech. <laughs> So wait, right before her. Wait, who Vin was? Diesel. Oh, really? Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel? Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. That- I, didn't, I didn't get that. Too bad. Wow, that would have been amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was told so Vin Diesel um, went to Hunter for like, as an undergrad, maybe like one semester before he dropped out. Before he dropped I'm, out. I'm not sure. He, yeah. He, well, he's like a Hollywood guy. And, uh, and he, he like showed up. should have given him an honorary degree. That would have been Yeah, beautiful. yeah, yeah. But they did. <laughs> they just invited him, uh, which, I don't know. Yeah. No, there was no actually, supposedly, like, this pandering 
the same with Hillary, oh. no honorary degree, no, uh-huh. no award, blah, blah. He just came, you know, took his um, sunglasses, I was told, <laughs> and just was standing up there. I, I bet we can find it probably online somewhere and just like barely making any sense. People thought he was high. Uh, it was my, my, my friends who like showed up. But whatever. It was, <laughs> it was at least he was like a legitimate Hollywood. Yeah, that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, then, okay. And you yeah. got Isabel Bella Rosalini who looked like she was being mm-hmm. totally adorable and she was actually graduating. Isabella Rosalini. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. We're like this, they were with the cohort, like 2019 graduates, yes. which is, uh, yeah, which is kind of like, well, I hope it's a good sign. Yeah. yeah so that's basically, the coolest. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's the coolest. So um, the funny thing with Isabella, I don't know if people know it, she definitely came with her little show to Bay Area as well and mm. LA and, and all over Europe. She uh, is grading from Hunter, graduated uh, with the main like animal uh, behavior and like some kind of conservation, I think it's Aww. called. And it took her many, yeah, it took her many years. I think it usually takes what, like maybe two. She uh-huh. like she said something like maybe like <laughs> seven. I don't know. Uh-huh. So she's been here for a while, but she finally graduated. But she did well. She's like a really eccentric, funny woman, right. good actress, and she did like a theatrical show based on her thesis, basically, which I bet she wrote like a fairly scientific. Is that paper. the one where she dressed like bugs mm-hmm. and animals and stuff? No, no, no. It's it's definitely along those lines. But huh. she did. Um, that was like little videos she produced. Right. Um, right. Green porn, which uh-huh. is actually really fun. Anyway, everyone should watch them on the internet. It's a great way to learn about, I think, animals mating kind yeah. of <laughs> <laughs> rituals. For me, it looked great. <laughs> yeah, it looks great. But no, this show, um, uh, she might, it might still keep going. It's yeah. called. Um, uh, Link Link Circus. Um, oh, no. It's just kind of one woman show. Uh, Isabella and her little dog in different costumes, no. uh, telling you. And there's like <laughs> weird projections behind. Just like maybe sometimes clips from those videos, but not much. It's all new material. And she's kind of like half lecturing you on what she learned in a mm. way in that like graduate program, and half presenting you with different little, I mean, eccentric kind of like circusy stuff with the dog about how animals. I mean, I'm like really doing giving the gist of it mm-hmm. how animals are like very much like us uh how when sunshine the robot there's like a little kind of like uh mild circus right. performance uh that is basically mostly educational but i for me it, um i went to the premiere she brought it to hunter as well to the hunter theater uh-huh. and um yeah i guess if you if you already been interested in animals and more or less read about <laughs> just different creatures from mm-hmm. i don't know bumblebees to <laughs> to whoever it's uh it's not necessarily very original material but right. but she's still very charming and i think for her it's probably she learned it fairly recently all this like uh semi-scientific facts and she's presenting them in a very compelling manner so that was fun uh What's, what do but, you mean by circus though did she have animals do things yeah. circuses are considered very bad you know in, i know in an animal animal circle. Circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the funny thing no there was nothing bad there because the only uh, in, in a way circus animal participating in that show is her little dog her i little forget dog. her name that's what I was <laughs> her little dog who is like somewhat well trained but and the only really, I guess, circus stuff she does, like weird jumps, but also like changes costumes. So oh, her I dog see. sometimes dressed as a chicken, sometimes <laughs> as other. I, I don't, I don't want to reveal anything because I think it, she will probably still will keep touring with it because oh, there are tours, okay. San Francisco, LA, uh, Europe, like European cities, and I think it's kind of worth watching. It's a bit over an hour. It's not, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> not not too bad. And they're obviously, I think, all of those shows usually sold out because it's Isabella, right, right. But um, but it, but it still doesn't, it doesn't take away from, I think. 
from like yeah the show itself and the kind of the oh, educational part of it. Oh no, I want to see it. it. I totally am going to be on the lookout for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, she definitely brought it somewhere. To, but it's you know it, it wasn't necessarily like huge in the news. I don't know if did New York Times. I didn't even about hear about it. that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because I think it, when you're in New York, you kind of hear and also mm. all over Hunter they plastic, posted all this like posture. I don't know. Yeah, obviously I couldn't escape it because mm. she went to the same school. But uh, but yeah, and she lives somewhere here on the like partial upstate somewhere mm. on the farm. So I don't know. She's kind of known kind of animal fanatic here mm-hmm. who's like lives with chickens and I don't know kind of which a number of, uh, of yeah. actors you know uh, aging mm-hmm. actresses really get into uh-huh. animals and I and people make fun of that fact but I'm just thinking of this because Doris, uh-huh. Doris Day recently died and she devoted the entire second half of her life after her film and television career ended essentially mm-hmm. to animals especially dog rescue and was very serious and had her own foundation for it and just poured all of her effort and money and time and she would literally be spotted in her neighborhood in Carmel during at night <laughs> going around like rounding up strays, stray cats and dogs in the neighborhood. Aww. It was really, That's very, yeah. It was really, you know, it both is a little melancholy because she became a recluse <laughs> at the end of her life, but it's not at all uncommon. Bridget Bardot, you know, there's many, many examples of, of female stars, and I think it's obviously Bridget Bardot it makes the most articulate case for why, for the horrifying damage and alienation you go through, especially if you're a sex mm-hmm. symbol of any kind. Um, and the answer to that is is animals, <laughs> is being among animals, and then the horrifying stares of your, of you know the rapacious stares of fans of hum- and humans. people who want things <laughs> from humans. humans um, is you cure them through animals, which makes actually total sense. I, I'll write about it someday. It's this interesting subject. Yes, it really. Is. Interesting because it's also like is in her show Isabel was joking about because I think it, it, what you said is a bit more true to what sometimes is implied as if it's also some kind of like mechanism of repl- like child replacement or something mm-hmm. like this if you yeah. like attached to some dog. I, I, no, I mean she has a farm not because of she has actually also children. It doesn't matter they're grown up, but yeah, there's some kind of probably soul kind of healing mm-hmm. element, right? Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> with, of it with animals. But she's very lovable. She's a very lovable and true eccentric, which you don't see enough of. Stars should all be eccentrics. They should all be yeah. wild and crazy people because they lead wild and crazy lives and so True. many of them are dull as hell but she's a real <laughs> unique one it was so adorable very, yeah. I, you, you sent me that little clip from, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. very earnestly saying some of you may know that my mother is the, the film star Ingrid Bergman <laughs> and my father is the Italian director I'm just like what have we come to but then I'm acknowledging she's, she's quite right probably you know tons of people in that audience have no, no. fucking clue and it's just, just like 20 year olds and yeah like, they yeah. don't know so then she, but she did that so sweetly I thought, <laughs> some of you, you may know. have heard of my mother I'm just like wow <laughs> she seems like that, a dear that person sweet. yeah but also like the eccentric the eccentricity is kind of interesting right because she um, again since I also show, saw her like the circus show mm. I was in the front row it seems very genuine she doesn't yeah. dial it up like for instance I think some of the directors recently remember the fake psychos we were discussing mm. uh, I mean it's all like just artificial like mm-hmm. just this sort of like manufactured insanity or not in, just insanity, eccentricity. And hers is very, yeah, you're right. Hers, hers is very, very genuine. And she also has like this kind of like mischievous spark in her eyes and she's in her late sixties and it's still strong. It's right, like, doesn't right. she's like a, it's interesting. It's like keeps going. I mean, this which is, is the woman, how it should be. This is the woman yeah. in blue velvet. Yep. <laughs> who comes up with the idea for the rape scene that is perhaps it's such a horrifying rape scene where she's like, how about if he shoves my bath, bathrobe tie 
in while he does. I just like she was there. Wait, she came up with it? that was How her you know? idea. She talked about it in an interview. Oh, she said she, she said it apologetically. She's like, I'm sorry, actually, but that was my idea. And I'm just like, ah! no, I didn't she was know. there a hundred percent for that stuff. Anything like that. And she was yeah, the men she was involved with. Martin Scorsese. Martha, yeah. David Lynch, Gary Oldman. It's just like how far on the outer edge are you trying to get? You know, so that I think is that's true. her natural home. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, you know, since you know, she's been an actress for a long time and it's like working with other like directors and kind of bringing their vision to the screen and you kind of wonder oh like what is she about and then when I started watching green porn videos that she mm-hmm. started making over 10 years ago so it's kind of like been a while you, you realize well she and David Lynch I bet was like a good match right like right. because it's it's not she's not just some like like a pretty lady who just like who's slumming <laughs> and a lot. weird movie no she's yeah she no, no no she's weird <laughs> she's weird in her own right <laughs> yeah and she has like her own sexual kind of interesting hang-ups and uh-huh. it's like very gen- genuine she didn't just go out with lynch just because she's like i don't know famous and has big hair right. like i mean it's right. like uh, there's something more so they're like yeah it's funny once i watch i was like whoa they're they probably were a great match yeah and they oh, were a and- cool couple i was so sad when he ditched her he ditched her why would he you ditch her oh yeah he totally oh, ditched I her i forget I who no he, he moved on to someone else i don't forget if it was his editor or somebody he worked with <laughs> Anyway, oh, we're going on and on down the rabbit know. hole. Sorry, yeah. Isabella Rosalini. Oh, but, <laughs> yeah, but before I forget, <laughs> I kind of have to mention, because I know how many people will be able to catch the circus, uh, the Link Link Circus mm. show. It's uh, I was, uh, when while well, you're watching, you wonder, it's like, oh, uh, I guess she like, you're watching, you wonder, like, I guess she probably like a bit lost her figure, but it's not a big deal. She's like kind of an elderly lady. Mm. And then turns out by the end of the show, because she's in this kind of weird, somewhat like Eastern kind of weird robe, silky, <laughs> weird floaty thing. Uh, right. And then at the very end, she's like, opens it up <laughs> how cookie she is and she has like a bit of a like like a fat suit all oh. over her body <laughs> with like drawn weird like boobs I don't know it's like the whole like re- it's very like weird funny but also like macabre little weird thing she, she's wearing <laughs> to, like hilarious. I think to make the performance funnier and in turn well in the, basically it's not her real fat roles <laughs> <laughs> I'm like what wow <laughs> yeah it's like a yeah. Anyway, and to be that's that a, vanity free for a woman who is incredibly beautiful. That's how she first becomes famous as a model because she's so yeah. stunning looking when she's young. To be that casual and able to joke and able. To, oh, wow, that's unusual. Yeah, she's still stunning, and it's like and not fat. All right, it's like, it's like she pretended to be. That's great. Yeah, that was funny. Okay, we should move on because like we're it's like the again the diva the the. Kind of endlessly yeah, draws us. Yes, sorry about that. All right, back on track. All right. So, okay, what are we? So, you know, we just I just want to talk a little bit about the film you made called Changemaker, which you know I've seen and it's incredible. Yeah. I love it so much. But what was the program like? Um, the, you know what what you know you had to obviously do a thesis film. You know what was what was that whole process like? How did you wind up with something extraordinary? It's extraordinary as Changemaker, and then we'll talk uh-huh. about the film. Well, I, I'll try to be actually super short about it okay. to the point because no one knows about this my program, so I I can't like I think I think I have to 
talk like just the, about the gist of it. Okay. It's, a, it's like a really okay. It's short. It's like not really film school as I was. I guess sometimes selling or I'm in film school. Mm-hmm. Not really. It's like a weird kind of mi- like overall. I like guess an art school where mm-hmm. you can do a different. You can play with different mediums from installation to animation to uh, I don't know. You can do dance if you want and graduate with dance. I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. So it's not really not set in stone, but they still the dominant part of the program is very specific. Most people do documentary films mm-hmm. and. Um, in a, most of the documentary filmmaking they do is again very specific it's the kind of this uh, frequently either extremely personal kind of assay type of thing mm-hmm. uh, very kind of self-involved just about you and your family right. or, or sometimes it's like goes back and forth or together or this kind of films about the um <laughs> I, I I mean, not only me, there are people who call it that. It's like misery porn. They, <laughs> these people usually come, you know, they're like middle class, upper middle class people, come from like a fairly uh, kind of boring, normal background, mm-hmm. and they make films of, about the most miserable members of the society for, I mean, for certain reasons, it's like, Call to race awareness, mm. blah, 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 bring like, uh, like talk about the issues, start the conversation, whatever, all these terms, I guess <laughs> I learned while being there. <laughs> and, um, no, and I don't want to laugh, I guess, at the impetus, even uh-huh. though it's like a lot of things are questionable and we, I can talk about it for a long time, the whole history of documentary filmmaking yes, and indeed. the anthropological <laughs> aspect of it and all that. It's like starting from even Nanook of the North and right. what the hell it was all about. But that's, we can like geek out all we want. I, I, I'm not going to go there. But basically, my program was very documentary having mm-hmm. this kind of very frequently kind of I don't know a bit whiny way and it's very specific and it feels like um, uh, people were frequently presenting themselves um, as artists and doing art mm-hmm. while when I would see with a fresh eye because I'm not from here also not only from not from America not from New York not familiar necessarily with the industry and with this kind of like I guess culture of the of this all I looked at it with sort of fresher eyes and I thought not only <laughs> most people are not artists mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know what the hell they want to say or what the hell they're saying they're just like taking camera and attaching themselves to something that visually looks interesting and and I don't know and also not just interesting kind of like fun entertaining but mostly uh, sort of um Tears inducing or yeah. something of that kind. That's frequently true. I'm not actually exaggerating too much of the uh, sort of the, the themes mm. <laughs> that right. people are go after. And uh, you probably know that in Berkeley, I don't know, you, 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 oh, you yes. can tell me what, what your experience. And and once I, I have been to Sundance only once, not with my film, but mm-hmm. just like as a uh, guest of the people I could stay with. And even seems like the bigger films, on, not necessarily of my classmates that are shown there, but of more, like I would say, more successful filmmakers frequently have the same feel and um, kind of yeah touched to them as well the, the award-winning frequently mm. uh, movies at this big prestigious film festival blah, blah. so I real- so my and just like I realized that that's like a bigger thing than just mm. like my program sure I have the window in this like <laughs> in that <laughs> within my I don't know uh, within my MFA experience but it's clearly larger than this and uh, so it's there's something to say about it. And so just being there and mm. actually at some point not even wanting to graduate or wanting to drop out and all that, I realized that the only way to cope with what's happening is just to try to kind of <laughs> have fun with it, right. basically. I wasn't sure it's going to work because um, the film I made, um, I don't know, you mentioned it's um, it's a dark comedy, basically. It's a, in a form of a mockumentary. Um, uh, I am a character there as well, mostly as a voice, but for a little bit as a face to um, play in that kind of a naive uh, film student, kind of almost me, documentary filmmaker, uh, who wants to find out what it takes to make a documentary feature, like mm-hmm. a real independent feature, and follows 
a documentary, a, a sort of a more mature, yes, documentary filmmaker, uh, while he's making, and he's in the process of making that feature mm-hmm. of making his film. So it's a bit warped, but but I guess uh, well, once you once you're watching it, may all, all makes sense. And so the uh, the form of this documentary perfectly fit the what I wanted to do with it and mm-hmm. and uh, the comedy of the, of it all and the, the kind of the, the, the way I could approach the topic it was it was actually the only way I could approach it and it helped me immensely actually just even being in certain classes and around certain <laughs> right <laughs> your groups <laughs> I mean I, I'm not I mean I might exaggerate a little bit for the story but no it's really <laughs> I think it's really how it all happened and how why I even <laughs> could stick around <laughs> for quite a while <laughs> Right, just all like your research and inspiration mm-hmm. is right in front of you. Fully there, so just <laughs> right there. there. In many forms, it's not one. It's important. It's not like I'm mean towards the one person. It's like the whole environment. It's, it's not necessarily personal. It's it's impersonal, but like very specific to the environment again. It, and it's such so it's a, an amalgam. Mm-hmm. It's such a bold film because it's 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 the what you kind of just described. You find an mm-hmm. example of human misery and kind of train your your camera on it you know so that the 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 character of the of the of the more mature as you say documentary filmmaker has Mm -hmm. found a wheelchair bound (laughs) ex wall street you know guy who was ruined in the 2008 crash and he's a drug addict and somehow he's now he's in a wheelchair and so his whole life is just hell he's living on the streets he's homeless and the the most hilarious scenes and and uh, sections are are um uh, are looking at the at the documentary filmmaker as he <laughs> ponders the ethics of what he's doing, and and one he's he's in this cozy diner eating a croissant, <laughs> drinking his latte or whatever all he's got, and he's like going on and on about you know what you know the meanings and all the effort, the incredible amount of effort he has to commit in order to draw out what he needs, in order to, to blah blah blah, accomplish all these things, and behind him outside going through the trash cans outside the diner is the guy <laughs> is the guy he's filming completely you know ignored and unseen and so these kind of layers are playing out through the whole thing this my my really favorite is where he says of course you have to capture the subjective point of view of your subject so he, you you expect the doctor filmmaker he's literally going to hand the camera to the poor wheelchair bound guy <laughs> but no but no instead he sits on top of him <laughs> and makes him makes the wheelchair bound guy wheelchair him through like roll him through with the strength of his arms while he shoots what's coming down the street and it's so Theory. cool and hilarious and wonderful that you just are like oh, people must have been roaring when you when you showed yeah. that yeah <laughs> well that's funny okay part of it well this is the moment I guess when the filmmaker sits on top of yeah that's the moment you stop believing it because like some of the parts can be like somewhat believable, especially the thicker. If you're like a slightly thicker person, and don't immediately I mean, get that. When he's meditating irony. on the ethics, you know, you got to be constantly yeah, considering the ethics of the position of the documentary filmmaker, which indeed you do do and should. You do you do? But it's made every day. It's made ludicrous. <laughs> this film, the way he's contemplating the quote unquote, like he keeps saying, "I mean, can I really regard this man as a victim in any way? He's he's a cis white male, etc." And you're looking at this pathetic homeless figure in a wheelchair an utterly ruined and broken man you're like well we've got to well, consider the, this <laughs> yeah but the funny thing with for instance this part about like terms and ethics cis white all this like very ac- academic kind of like lingo that mm-hmm. is truly used by the, the country filmmakers by the people around me is that when it was screened at the thesis show yeah. this is the moment especially you know the audience is very specific in the thesis show it's like people 
I, I guess some people were suppressed. They couldn't. They it was quiet. No one laughed because I think it was. Yeah, either too close home. At that one, no, no, no. People laughed, but not at the cis white male. Not at the early stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, no, no. The the victim part, because I, yeah, and and some people throughout parts of it, like really were cracking up, and and then a few after the show, like a few. I don't know how thick can you be. Really, it's not that hidden. Couldn't fully be sure whether Mm. it's like real or not imagine and especially it's not text are you allowed to laugh i can imagine (laughs) yeah because it's like can you Mm because it's kind of cruel what if it's i don't know so it it seemed like people were a bit conflicted and specifically if you just look at it just as a standout whatever some short it's one thing but when it's part of the thesis show when all the other projects are like this actually the documentary films that, that you're are more or less using <laughs> yes, like, as water <laughs> in, in some ways at least the form not like necessarily but more or less and and this is sandwiched by not by accident because where else could they put it in between <laughs> I mean I think that I think that's the performative aspect of it that was funny and a bit confusing uh, because yeah because it's not standalone you're not like in a comedy cellar or whatever when did, like, pe- when did people start laughing was it when he was writing him is that the moment um, where no laugh? no no people were laughing already at the, okay. the I guess we shouldn't talk about it. people were laughing when the whole the poaching accident was happening because some people were like recognized the actor or okay. the class. Like, some people because it was like it starts funny from like minute one that someone tries even stealing the character which by the way in documentary filmmaking I, I, I really like talk to a few people it's like uh-huh. a real thing some people don't even talk what exactly they're doing to their co- co- or so-called colleagues and so-called friends uh-huh. because the subject or the subject matter can't be stolen. I'm like, this is like 100% true. Probably not necessarily like literally willed away uh-huh. as a subject, but you, you can be kind of fucked over if you overshare what you're doing and someone else can do it faster or better or have more um, access. So can wait, you, like so, that- oh, someone would take your... Mm-hmm. Oh, so that wonderful mm-hmm. thing where, yes, the guy's trying no, to... Yeah, but no. Yeah, but subject. that... that Mm-hmm. So that's a real that's thing. A, oh my god! No, 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 not like that. Like obviously not. But the not essence of fault, stealing me. the theme, yeah, and yeah, not necessarily. And I'm, I'm not sure about the specific person. Might mm-hmm. be too. You can like start approaching someone if it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I just dialed it up. But that's actually thematically that can totally happen. And I've heard stories of just, you know. You basically don't necessarily want to talk too much about what you're doing with your own in colleagues. Case somewhere at the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So even in you documentaries, like, that's true. In Hollywood, that's yeah. absolutely. Oh, true. is it true? Oh my god! Don't even think out loud, because you will see that movie. You know, as you're toiling away in development hell, you will see your movie <laughs> get made. Oh, absolutely. Because it, because the idea that you mentioned, it's not like you can be like sue. You you cannot sue. No. It's not like you're telling them. It's, yeah, I see. So well, you can't talk. That's why there are always those rival films that come up. Mm-hmm. You'll see one film come out. In fact, we were just talking online with someone who was talking about how Dangerous <laughs> Liaisons, the film, isn't nearly as good as Valmont. I've never seen the other one, and now I want to see it. Guess why? Because everyone the critics all dismissed it or it was hardly reviewed or it hardly got any attention because Stephen Freer's Dangerous Liaisons swept everything, got awards and all the talk and then Valmont comes out and it's just like, meh. <laughs> so I had no idea that that's, you know, wow, that's probably the much better version. So yeah, that's very common in, in Hollywood. But do you think there was any connection in terms of like that someone got like, oh yes, spoof, like in terms of like, could it have been an accident? Because I knew well, about specifically sure. films coming out at the same time. But you yeah. could say sometimes there's a like 
zeitgeisty like thing where it's yeah. just people, yeah, whatever, a fluke. But it happens so often. It happens, I know someone <laughs> whose friends were making a crazy movie about um, a hamburger stand. What was it? What was that? That was called Macbeths instead of McDonald's. <laughs> and they were going to do a modern update of Macbeth. It was obviously a comedy, but set in mm-hmm. a McDonald's. <laughs> um, and they're, they literally are in development when that movie, independent movie, gets made. And, is, and there is no way that's a zeitgeisty thing. So in other words, somebody was talking too much. And of course, you have to talk. You have to, in order to get the project made, you have to talk to all sorts of producers. You're trying to get money. And somebody mentioned it to somebody else who wrote it up faster, got it funded faster. And there, there, wow. there they were. Too late. Yeah. So that yeah. happens all the time in Hollywood. Yeah. But I guess if you have like a script that cannot be... St- stolen because I think if you show someone a script that's a different story they can't like steal but they no. can steal some ideas but they can take the they can <laughs> oh, take fuck. the general idea they can. yeah 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 uh, all right yeah anyway well, so, I, anyway so it, it's a funny gag in the film where there's a very literal yeah. attempt to poach the, the literal <laughs> subject in the wheelchair for another documentary right it's very funny as well um, yeah it's competitive <laughs> yeah a very competitive racket which no one thinks about the world of the documentary at all so that's no. part of what's funny about it because it's such a manipulative genre like medium and genre yes. and you can and it's so right first of all to recognize it and manipulate it for I don't know now I sound very preachy but, but it's for true good, or for, for some purpose for good but if you're hiding the fact that you've been manipulative that's evil and most people outside of the media world don't understand this manipulative nature they kind of like it's almost like a reality they just look at the picture and they, and they don't know it. what's behind the scene yes. and they accept it and there's like they don't imagine some person like squatting down there with a camera filming some kind of like semi-real I don't know sex scene of like miserable character like I mean when you imagine what's actually happening right. behind the scenes it's just oh, it becomes a whole different layer we're in such yeah. a troubling era with regard to the documentary at least there was an mm-hmm. era you know kind of 50s 60s 70s mm-hmm. when everyone was questioning everything the, the, the form was really morphing in serious ways in response to the way people were questioning the stage mm-hmm. nature, what are the ethics of it? It was a very serious discussion. Now nobody questions nothing. So I've written, you know, reviews of like highly praised documentaries that are so manipulative, so horrifying. They're made to conform to the constraints of like exciting genre films. So things like mm-hmm. Citizen Four and Dirty oh, yeah. Wars, and they're they're just atrocious. Ethically, they're just they couldn't be worse. But people love them, and nobody questions what's going on. Yeah. And I'm just like, are Aren't you concerned at all that these things are being made to conform to Hollywood genre pieces so they'll be more exciting? You know, so you got like, what's his face? Jeremy Scahill giving yeah, a performance words. as himself, which is yeah, like, at, the, at the supermarket. Oh! That one? Yes. A yes. really bad performance. A really yeah, actually, terrible performance mm-hmm. as himself. Yes. And it's like, well, Ben Affleck would play that part <laughs> in the Hollywood movie. So it's now Jeremy Scahill as Ben Affleck as Jeremy Scahill. It's just like, and you know, then you start thinking, you start imagining if you've ever been a filmmaker or involved in any way or have any imagination, exactly what you just said. You're like, think about how that shot was set up and what's going mm-hmm. on behind the scenes. This is the opposite of any kind of you know, direct attempt to capture a reality. All of this is staged. All of it is just being treated like a Hollywood yeah. film. That's terrible. Why it's when it stopped? You said so in fifties, sixties, seventies. It still was questioned the whole, which which it always should be. What is reality? What is mm-hmm. not? How can you even capture it? Because like outside of the, um, uh, like obviously, um, fictional narrative mm-hmm. films, 
all the other stuff is very questionable. And even I know mostly just about the early film stuff, like 1920s, to mm-hmm. heard of, and it, that was op- that was the things that mostly discussed in this philosoph- philosophical kind of way. Um, but and then I didn't know. So in the 50s and 60s, then this whatever discourse were still going strong. Yes. The questioning part. It's, okay. it's continuing like into the seventies, but you start to see this shift back in the seventies. And then of course in the, by the time you get to the eighties, you're, you're kind of mm-hmm. there where things that had literally been forbidden in, the, especially in that direct cinema, cinema verite era, because mm-hmm. they'd, they'd said, you can't do this staging shit. And that includes things like you shouldn't have a music track. You shouldn't have voice. Yeah. You shouldn't have all of these things stock. You shouldn't be drawing in stock footage. We need immediacy with as little interference as possible so that was like a a real ground zero point where people were like no is fly on the wall as little interference as possible of course then you get a backlash with people saying but that kind of trans supposed transparency is its own fake you can't get to the point where you aren't staging the scene you're putting your camera somewhere which which rules out other things you you're still cutting it together somehow so you're Mm -hmm. still imposing something so you got a lot of people very consciously showing you i'm imposing this here is me bringing in the documentary filmmaker bringing in the people who are the subjects to then talk about the experience of film you know it got to be all of these kind of um really really interesting and important ways of getting at what what should the form even be and if we can't really prescribe that what are the implications of any form that you impose on the the quote-unquote reality you're trying to capture i mean you can literally take it to the point of a a, a filmmaker throwing a camera into a room and letting it run (laughs) you know you you go as far and you never make any cuts that would be the ultimate but even so you still kind of threw the camera into the room you know you see you can never get to ground zero so isn't it you don't know how people would have acted if they didn't know the camera's on right always just the, the issue of you change reality by looking at all that stuff. So you, but but at least people were still working with it for a long. But you start to get, you know, there's a term for it in the this history book I I, I um, taught from. The, they called it the synthesis documentary because it brought in, started bringing back all the things that you weren't allowed to do. So back comes the music track, back comes the stock, mm-hmm. all the stock footage, back comes the voiceover, back comes everything. But it starts to come back in a way that loses any any sense of I don't know being critical of it it just comes back as the normal so synthesis documentary so called which brings back all those elements and synthesizes them together again is now so accepted that it's like we never went through that you know several decades (laughs) of questioning the impact and interrogating what's being conveyed and how are you manipulating your audience and all the rest of that so yeah it really starts creeping back and by the eight you know admittedly you get really interested you get people like errol morris who at least is he brings back staging scenes which was Mm -hmm. absolutely forbidden it was a norm way back in what 20s 30s etc but it becomes. You mean a reconstruction, yeah, or what do you call yeah, it? Re, you, yeah, you stage an entire scene and shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with suggest actors. it's yeah with actors and suggest it represents mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. reality. But he does it so ostentatiously that yeah. in, in Blue Line and other films that it seems like it's still like no, no. I know I'm doing it, but it's he brings back all of this style. He brings Philip Glass scores. He brings in all this incredible fictional techniques back into documentary, but in such an ostentatious way. You could still say he's doing. He's doing a really interesting thing with the form. But as you move on into the 80s and 90s and documentaries become hugely popular, they get it hugely mainstream for perhaps the, you know, 
the first time in almost since Nanook, practically, yeah. get this mainstream crossover of a lot of documentaries. And that's where you really lose it. Like people just just will accept everything is, yeah, but that's a really object. That's a straight objective documentary from the most outrageously stylized um, films. The only people that yeah, really hate are Michael yeah. Moore. Everyone agrees that's terrible. And you're, I'm always like, why? He sticks his face He's right open. in there openly and yeah. says, basically says, this is a film about me as much as it's about my subject, Roger and me. That's his I first know. breakout film and people just don't get it. It's an amazing film, but some people don't get it, but he is actually one of the only filmmakers besides like Errol Morris and a few others who actually like, you know, uh, big box yeah. office <laughs> documentaries. So I uh, clearly people, some, a lot of people like him. Oh, and, right. and yeah, yeah and uh, this is this is actually I respect that it's like whatever manipulative and they like in your face yes what, what do and I'm not trying to hide or pretend it's no. transparent which is the most it, pernicious thing like like other people all the other people do it like yeah. the people I criticize the, like my class whatever the people I know who do it all the time right and, and I have to say like another character I find interesting because I don't like Earl Morris he's kind of whatever it's like a different topic but mm-hmm. um Frederick Wiseman style right. and he's still actually alive and going strong right. and probably you know he made so many films that a lot of them are not interesting not good and some of them are genius mm-hmm. but his his kind of approach is interesting he is one of those like quiet ones just filming forever mm-hmm. and then cutting it together without any external music or reconstruction right. or something but even he and he's a real like actually he's an intellectual mm-hmm. he calls his films he never even like uses the term he doesn't understand this. oh people believe it what is like that real reality he calls his films reality fictions right. that's his term he's great because he's the greatest because he, he says <laughs> yeah. I'm cut them together exactly. alone for like 10 months what do you want what like what do you think it is like my name <laughs> yes like, no i don't know and he but he it's troubling because he's always been troubled by his own reputation for doing some sort of really direct fly on the wall cinema and he's like what i'm i'm yeah, shaping yeah. an argument here <laughs> yeah me doing it how can you claim that i'm just letting the film run well it p- appears in individual <sighs> scenes that i am but look at the whole form and people have yeah. a lot of trouble looking at form which is where you run into trouble in so many ways yeah. So but when today it seems like people got dumber in the last hundred years. I mean, I, I don't put myself outside of it, but there's something weird happening. It's like the form is not even, I don't know, not recognized, not discussed. There's no form. There's only subject matter. Subject matter is the form. It's just, yes. it's crazy. No, it's the, don't you think oh there's something weird happened it to this form subject? It is the hardest thing and the most heartbreaking thing that happened over the many years of my teaching film is that the... You could teach the skills, but people, it was exactly that. They were so obsessed with plot. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, the plot is one component. But, but look at the, and I would have to just spend an eternity of time showing them. We would spend an eternity over five minutes of film because mm-hmm. they just had so little ability to just do that slight. It's just a mental shift where you're like, okay, not what is pre- being presented in terms of content, uh-huh. but how it's being presented in terms of form. It yeah. was quite easy to teach that when I started, and it got steadily harder Whoa. and harder and harder. I don't know what it is. I literally, but I've literally had people write to me and say that they hate film because film has so much plot, <laughs> and it's so hard <laughs> to keep track of all the things happening and keep concentrating on it for like two hours. And I'm like, holy shit, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah. So now even plot is becoming challenging. I'm just like. Oh. oh, so yeah, 
Yeah. Weird. Wait, but why do you, because you saw the difference in the st- student body. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened? Is it because the attention, I know it's banal, but like cliche things. What is it like attention span, little YouTube videos? Like what's, I, why I think, people yeah, can decipher? It seems like, and I know this is a huge cliche and I'm not saying anything fresh, yeah. but it does seem yeah. like the preferred content now is very short very choppy, mm-hmm. doesn't require sustained attention, which is why, again, they can't read. And that's not even a <laughs> euphemism. I, I was just when I retired, I was about to have to change the, the film history book I did. Why? There's so much text. They would literally open the textbook and see all the text on the page and be like, I can't read that. I just can't handle it. And they wait, wait, and they would Berkeley students. Berkeley. We're not talking about oh, no. like, I don't know what this like, is. UC I, Berkeley. Call me like D level oh, this, <laughs> community yes, college. The struggle no? to read very simple, very simple text. There's nothing conceptually difficult whatsoever. And I was going to have to change to like, I don't know, a short history of the movies, a lot less text. And I just like, what are you going to do? They're not, they're not reading. And this is established now. I mean, this is like you've got Harvard coming up with progr- computer programs so that it's a, I forget mm-hmm. what it's called, but they just designed it and started advertising it where they have to like, you know, they have to register that they're reading something through clicks and sometimes having to answer questions in the margins. You can add quizzes because even Harvard students, they're just like, you know, professors are just saying we cannot get them to read. They will not do the reading. So we have I think to- it started with the millennial generation or the new one? Because I guess I'm still the millennial or it's like whatever it's called, Z. What's the next one? Yeah, what is the next when one did it start, like <laughs> I don't even know the, the letter. Yeah, but <laughs> did it start with like the ones who are 20 now? Build. When did you notice? It, it's okay. been a slow build, I'd say, over certainly 10 years. I mean, I always complain, but I'd say uh-huh. for sure 10 years. Because um, when I started back at Berkeley, you know, it was a long story, but anyway, roughly 10 years at, at teaching at Berkeley, early years, I was still getting a, a level of scary, smart and well-trained students to the point that they were daunting to teach. They were so, so astute, so up on it, so brilliant, could handle all the material and then some were probably bored in my classes. And Over that, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, that was 10 years yeah. ago. So, uh-huh. the, so say those first five. But then the last okay, five okay. that I was there, I started to see a really significant drop off. And my best students were students who, you know, they were very, they were good students. But the, but that level of like just scary, brilliant, scary, smart, incredibly well trained, uh-huh. and they're going to go on to big thing. That 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 stopped entirely. Okay, this is Generation Z. I looked it up. This is <laughs> not millennials. That's way worse because I'm because <laughs> we were warned for years. I mean, people who taught high school and stuff were warning us for years. You're gonna start. Uh-huh. You're start, gonna start seeing the qu- consequences of all the changes to public schools because they're all. It's all that teach to the test and all that shit that destroyed public education or did it has done its part. Yeah. And they kept warning us. And for a couple of years, it wasn't happening. I was like, eh, this is a myth. And then sure enough, it hit really, really hard. And a kind of helplessness of people unable to come up with arguments, people unable to doing analysis way, way harder. Um, name it, doing, doing the reading, even among top students, getting to be harder and harder to get anyone to do it. It was really the conditions for teaching in the humanities are just dying. They're going to have to do something radical and they're not and they're not doing anything radical. So I don't know how how much longer this can go on. I literally had to cut assignments, cut amounts of reading material. By the last couple of years, I was cutting courses I taught for years to the bone 
having to change multi-level assignments to one level assignments. I just like what the hell. So it's like scary. it is a bit again another cliche, but still, it's like an idiocracy prophecy coming true. Remember that film? Oh, is absolutely. It like one of that. I mean, I hate Even that though, film. It's evil, but it's I, right. It's, I know. It's a I know. Useful I know. Concept. And Mike Judge is actually kind of reactionary. I was thinking, what is his politics? Because he's can be funny sometimes. Sometimes I whatever. Think he's libertarian. Yeah, he's reactionary. Yeah, but 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 still, but the there's idea something of it coming down. Yeah. It seems to be happening, or at least it's a t- intelligence is shifting to something else. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I fingers hope. crossed it's going somewhere else. Because true, because it doesn't have to be like we should be a bit more open minded. It doesn't have to be some only attached intelligence that should do some kind of like yeah uh, complex tax. What, what disturbs me right? is people keep saying we're moving away from a text based culture to a visual yeah, culture. Yeah. But then I'm like, well, well, why aren't they good at visual culture? <laughs> why can't they? Why can't they analyze visual? I I'm sixty times better. You know, a million times, but there's so many. People. I'm like, come on, you should be better than me. You're you're more soaked in it. You should be able to like or or coming up with ideas. Why don't they? I would give them carte blanche sometimes in a topic area to pull in other forms of media, and they still couldn't. They'd be they're they're also very terrified. There's a kind of and who who can blame them in many ways? They're in yeah. such an awful world where their prospects are so bad. But this fear of doing anything wrong comes from that teaching to the test, massive amounts of homework. You just want the right answer and they're working and they're they're under so much pressure. They just can't think. Yeah. <laughs> they can't think. But I'm also curious what you're saying because you have like this, such a direct experience so it, I, it's true then then it should be true that uh, this bullshit prophecy about, oh, don't worry, they're good at visual, visual cultures on the rise. Um, they can't even understand the form, can decipher anything. That's what's so or, weird. Oh, it's like, like, where's the sign of, that they're great at visual yeah. cult? I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just such a dinosaur. I can't see. I kept trying to think, am I just so out of it? I can't. But even, you know, much younger teachers than me would say the same thing. Like, what's happening? What's scary huddles in the hall? Like, what's going on? I never had a worse class. What's happening? Yeah, really bad. I have to say, uh, I mean, it's a bit circles down to MFA and we should finish Hmm. talking about (laughs) my my thesis experience. But it circles down to that because I noticed for the first time I've been in this environment where people do installations and Hmm. I've seen going to shows somewhere like uh, gallery spaces more when I moved to New York and then seen some of the thesis projects that are uh, basically non-linear, right? Installation-based, uh, I don't know what, like performance pieces, whatever. And I do have to say, and these people are a bit older, right? So they can be like either like very late 20s, maybe right. 30s, depends. Very, very wide range of people, not the Z. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the new Z generation. Mm. And I have to say it's still there, this weird, um, like I don't say linearity is the key and genius, not not at all. It doesn't have to be. But like the people can't really tell a cohesive story in any form even when okay you give them carte blanche you can do an installation you can Mm -hmm. bring anything and frequently it's like a weird kind of like barely engages you on some kind of visually sensory audio level Mm -hmm. thing but makes like literally very little sense and feels very like high school level I mean or I don't know I I might be in the snob or what but like middle school level of kind of like synthesizing of any kind of information or creativity or whatever and this is MFA and I'm like whoa and and then not only MFA and then what stuff I've seen in the galleries is also people who are like function mm-hmm. fun, I would say what do you call it functioning artists like working artists mm-hmm. so called artists I guess. and that's that haunts me as well that it's like your experience with students reminds me of what I've just seen with adults mm-hmm. and actually people older than me I'm like whoa why is it 
completely incohesive and makes no sense because it's like if you do this form and try things out for a reason mm-hmm. to like be avant-garde and all this i would i would notice that but it's not this it just make it seems like there's <laughs> there's some kind of lack of uh process mm-hmm. power intelligence in some way in some profound manner across not just I'm not again singling out anyone specific. No, just but I, I do think it's a thing because just, just just because I was I was trained in the rhetoric department. I studied film mm-hmm. within it, and 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 you know you spend a ton of time on on tight that tight coherence that you should be coherence. able to mm-hmm. get across in, in in any work or any analysis of any work. And sometimes I just think you know that that standard is dissolving and disappearing. <laughs> and but then don't you think? Yeah, sorry. To oh, interrupt. oh, just to say, but but so much of. Of our whole approach to aesthetics, our whole approach to discourse, so so many things is relying on that standard. So if you dissolve that mm-hmm. standard, what do you do then? What 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 works are you going to get, and how do you even look at them? I, and how you judge them? And, and, and that's exactly them. my point. Before I forget, because I was thinking about it a lot, isn't narrative in some way again it doesn't have to be boring, linear Hollywood, uh-huh. whatever three acts? I'm not talking about that. But generally, isn't narrative the function of sanity? We've been telling stories from when we lived in the caves or whatever. It's like this is sanity yep. the so compelling you, account the coherent compelling account yes, is what coherent, we build it just, <laughs> this is function of sanity so <laughs> I, people insane and again not insane is like as a good whatever genius creative no like it just has no you know or, how they can even exist as like physical animals <laughs> I mean, well, you even or you live? could say, you know, this was supposed to be the postmodern project, <laughs> that, the, the, that the coherence was a lie. Um, that was part of it. Uh, the idea that you had to do things in a kind of piecemeal way because that was the only way to act to in, in any way accurately or sanely reflect the world you now lived in. So that that made <sighs> that makes some sort of loose sense, but it still doesn't leave you with, well, you know, like in histories where they started doing that kind of patchwork history work where mm-hmm. you'd, you'd get a million different narratives and not try to make them cohere instead of having one, okay. one grand narrative in a history book. So you could that just say we're, we're really seeing postmodernism, you know, the effects of it. You know, mm-hmm. really, really strongly, even though people have really stopped talking, you know, it's nothing like in the 80s and 90s when you couldn't get through a conversation without everyone talking about postmodernism. Is that what we're in? And is, does it does it have some sort of set of relationships that we can't analyze because we only know the tightly causal, tightly coherent, tightly, you know, more old fashioned narratives we can't even function within them? It's kind of interesting because I'm not against like the patchwork. And I guess the patchwork is star- stuff started with the modernism in the 20th uh-huh. century. It doesn't have to be only like it's not only postmodern right. you know, project. The, the element of it existed before. But I guess uh, and it probably should be a whole different conversation. But generally speaking, isn't like the people who like storytellers mm. or some sort of, yeah, like I guess artists in, in some medium of yeah of storytelling they should be the people who take this responsibility and take this leap of Mm -hmm. making some sort of sense even if it's obviously extremely subjective as everything is to make some sense and parlay it to you like the the other people and then you can like agree with it or be amazed be appalled whatever it is but if even the people who creating things writing things and whatever it's like Mm -hmm. somehow like history story writers history writers they can even they stop trying to make this kind of like connection then what what is even gonna well i'm with you happen to the people if only because it's it's part of an art if you're thinking politically which politically should be when you're right if everyone's going to embrace a kind of a kind of incoherence because that's Uh the closest way to represent the incoherence and the flux of reality 
how can you have a politics base? <laughs> how can people talk to you? How can people know. get a coherent? They need a coherent take on what's happening. That is what political discourse should be doing for you. Should be tell, be able to tell you what's happening, be able to like read what the what the what what the functionings of history are amounting to and where you are in history and all that you have to you have to embrace a kind of imposed coherence. You have yeah, to. Yeah, or even some kind of some kind of strong imagery, anything, right, right. but if if everything is equals to everything else I know, I know. and even the people who supposedly should have some kind of talent or some skill to like <laughs> fight through the mud in the port, you know. <laughs> I know. I, and you stop okay then i mean it's over i don't know <laughs> that's how i kind of feel about it because oh, i God. see it very like everything's muddied around me and uh yeah so anyway because that's a whole different topic which is kind of interesting in its own right I, I bet we can connect it to the films that have been created oh yeah absolutely in the last. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but, uh, yeah oh. but should we okay since we have a lot of uh, kind of thesis uh, sort of film school uh, first experience of famous mm. directors to cover we should probably move okay to that. let's do it do you want to yeah do you want to start we start with the, well, the one we both looked at mm-hmm. which is okay, Alexander Payne's um uh, film from UCLA, I think it was 1991 or something 1990. like that. 1990. 1990. Um, mm-hmm. The Passion of Martin. Um, it's a thesis film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his thesis film, which is is so good that no one, apparently it got him immediate Hollywood attention, like it played, uh-huh. you know, and, and was scouted. Um, and that's kind of what kicked off his career. And no wonder, it's so, it's so him already. Um, yeah. At least early him. You know, I have to say, what happened to that guy? He was he got so worse. Yeah. great. His first, that film, Pastor Martin, Election, um, Citizen. No, no, no. Uh, Citizen Ruth. Ruth yeah. was before Election. Those three films. You're just like, the guy's, mm-hmm. he's just great. He's great. I remember yeah. Election, of course. Everyone, everyone in our social circle worships this film, and rightly so. But then, guess what? The last thing I saw of his downsizing, and you probably didn't uh, see it because nobody saw I it. Because it, it was oh, did you? Oh, it's it's so bad. I can't even. Disappointing. Yeah. It's oh, it's just like cratering. What happened to Alexander Payne? <laughs> A few great scenes there, like with the whole choreography of getting smaller and being like treated like rats that are yeah. shaven. I think there were great few like choreographic it started moments. it started with pro- mm-hmm. a couple of promising scenes yeah and, I, mm-hmm. and you really thought the way they marketed it intelligently mm-hmm. was if that was it, the whole movie and instead yeah. it shifts completely in the whole second half of the movie and turns into the most banal <laughs> the dumbest i was just shocked just shocked at how far he'd fallen and i kind of felt it there was this turning point right around about schmidt those were the next films he made after election about schmidt mm-hmm. and and sideways which was sideways was the big hit you know, you're kind of going, yeah, good things here. But, you know, also just like a weakening. And then, of course, you're into films that I, I frankly, I fell off the, the pain wagon and, and didn't mm-hmm. even watch Descendants, which is a huge hit. And yeah, I forget what the I watched. Next I watched all of his films. But yeah, but <laughs> I agree with you, even though I watched it all. What the <laughs> hell? Really? What is it? Yeah. Uh, well, OK, I, I we, we need to talk about Passion of Martin. But yeah, like, yeah. I have to say, I think he's what he's great at. And you can see in Passion of Martin in the election. Where was in the room. He's great with capturing, honestly, and very few people can do it. But outside of Todd Salons, so it's probably him. Mm-hmm. This like kind of petty middle class, still very bourgeois culturally, a suburban kind of American culture and existence and philosophy of mm-hmm. it all in a, in a pretty, I don't know, that's how I guess I look at it, in a kind of like 
hurt. I don't know. It's tragic comedy, but but it's, it's also ferocious, extremely like, damning, ferocious. Yeah, it's very it's cruel. It's cruel and truthful, <laughs> and truthful. And uh, I think that's the no one looks at America like that. So very few people again, because usually it's either myth making uh, in some way, everything kind of like bigger than life. Uh, right. If it's, and it's flattering. If it's As a rule, it's <laughs> flattering one way or another. And yeah. If if someone is evil character is going to be like big evil exactly. character, <laughs> big evil kids. And with him, it's like evil character who's like Patty. It's like yes. everyone's Patty, big or good. There's no. And so I think I think this <laughs> this is his genius. Small things. And once he's trying to do big, like um, he clearly tried at least mentally to go big with downsizing. He can't. It's like it's big no, imaginary. He even said shocking world. things. Like this is an epic masterpiece. He supposedly said yeah, this of his yeah. own work, and you're like. All right. Wait, well, what? Yeah. So very. Just, but yeah, you look at pa- Passion of Martin, which is, of course, a grandiose title that's going to be utterly deflated in the viewing, <laughs> which is marvelous. It's all about this. It's, the, the childhood scenes are my favorite. <laughs> oh, know, yeah. You, the beginning. Yeah. The, the beginning, beginning is yes. marvelous. Well, it's, you know, a voiceover of a man, of an alienated man walking through the streets and he starts talking himself about himself and grand, his alienation in grandiose terms. But then you could get flashbacks, you know, to, to key scenes of his life including his childhood, you know, a lo- kind of loving birth. but insipid mu- birth, you know, and how he fights to stay in the womb because the, the greatest, <laughs> greatest years of his life are the nine months he spent, or actually months that they spent in the, that he spent in the womb. And he knew that was the beginning of the end when he's hauled out forcibly by the nurse and is dangling by the umbilical cord over the table. Um, but then he gets to his parents and he's got a kind of, you know, sweet but insipid mother hanging over the crib and you're seeing from point of view. And then this father, he was just in a frenzy of loathing just spouting abuse at him over the crib and and later you know the father dies and he's still a child and you see him dumping his ashes down the toilet <laughs> yeah really but plot wise but even form wise first 20 minutes extremely avant-garde Very. Yeah, the plot is amazing like the story is a little kind of like humor but it actually looks just kind of I think uh, early reviews uh, of, a, of this uh, that gave him like attention in Hollywood said something like David Lynch meets Albert Brooks I believe which uh-huh. I don't know I'm not a fan of Albert Brooks but yeah because there's some there's kind no- of Lynch and quality there there is, but none of the beauty, because you know that's that's the way. The if the, if Lynch is flattering, and I would say in a way he is, it's so dreamily beautiful to look at his films. And you're like, oh, wonderful for the eyes. This is not that. No. <laughs> this is all kind of muddy and really brought down to just like, ah, yep, that's what the streets look like. They look like crap. Everything looks like crap. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, he I almost. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I just since again it's the first time when, as you said there's so much pain in him he's like he's like a well formed human <laughs> being in that film like, just as a director or something yeah. yeah I I found that you can also see because uh, he wrote the script himself even if it's based on that book yeah. by I think an Argentinian writer and it, I felt that there was a phrase in the beginning that summarized his whole his whole filmmaking and just generally probably life philosophy I remember the character already adult um, sits um, opposite in the kitchen uh, opposite his mom right. And uh, saying that despite all the beauty and whatever is supposedly possible in life, art and all, uh, it all boils down to, for humans, for us, to the patty, to the bowel movement. Right, and the bowel movement. Remember, yeah, the bowel <laughs> movement. And kind of like, because his mom, yes. all he remembers of her really at this point, like a moment before he died, she died and he was sitting next to her and she was like chewing watercress yeah. and, saying, and saying that her bowel movement is amazing and her doctor like is really proud yes, of her. Yes, compliments I mean, her, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and there's this really amazing. He like gives this camera like a close up of this like older woman's like mouth chewing on the like a big, <laughs> big, big watercress. Water water yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 like genius level. Yeah. Like, moments of it. Incredibly astute way of zeroing in on on, on yeah. the, the constant the revelation patty. of the, the patty. patty. Exactly. As he's trying to elevate everything in his mind. Oh, no. And, but no. And but no, nothing. Everything we see is <laughs> so he tries to have a romance, which of course he constitutes as the epic romance because he's finally found another you know, soul um, who's as <laughs> alienated as he is, but that makes them perfect for. And of course, this is nothing. This girl is like seeing other. This young woman seeing other people. You know, she's like, what? And so it all winds up in the you know the most ugly and ridiculous sort of attacks on her, trying to get her to say, repeat back to him what he wants her to say. And yeah, yeah, it's a, like violence. Violent, just violent, oh, violent yeah. and vicious. Yeah. Um, it, while he's still in his mind thinking of this as, you know, the confirmation of their great love. And yeah, yeah. You know, I, hate, I don't want to tell the end. The end is like no, appalling. Yeah. It's appalling what happens. Of course, it can't be anything but appalling. This combination of grandiosity in your mind versus the, the you know the horror of of the pettiness and the ugliness and the lowness of your life that's heading for bad things but you know that's a way of defining america we we tr- tend to think of ourselves always in the most grandiose terms possible it's always about freedom and <laughs> you know exceptionalism and all all this like way too large way too ridiculous things versus you know you look around at most american cities and town most of them are ugly most of them are there's there's like we've done nothing to actually make our lives what in any way more beautiful or more meaningful and yet somehow mentally we're trying to impose all this beauty and meaning on it it's the strangest schizophrenic approach that americans have i mean if you go to a lot of european cities you have to admit that a lot of them are very very beautiful i mean that's just fundamental you're just like oh it's a beautiful like san francisco used to be it's wrecked now but it used to be a very beautiful city and that made it famous people would be like oh but of course go to san francisco and san francisco is actually a beautiful city it's more like a european city is what people would always (laughs) say and so we've got this inability to kind of unite disparate (laughs) disparate realities in america that is always that's always going to wear on on people in such a huge way and you see people going crazy under the folk under the pressure of it so he's really got a, a like a lockdown on some of this stuff on totally contradictory ideological stances both of which are rotten so you know he takes on abortion and citizen ruth in a way that's well shocking <laughs> I, I don't and very relevant still and so <laughs> more than ever to, to, yeah. yes right now and he just he just had a kind of fearless vision when he was when he started that I don't know. Maybe there's no way you can maintain. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you can't but I have live. To say, yeah. yeah, but I have to say, even if you went downhill, which actually a common thing, even if you're super great, I, very rarely a director after like, I, that's just the truth of it. It's not yeah. the same as writing, writing probably after like in his 50s cannot make something better than in his like 30s or 40s. I don't know. Unlikely or 60s, you know, but, like you go up and. But the difference rarely. is, I would just say, usually mm-hmm. you just see a weakening of the powers, okay. so it gets. I think anyway, you just see it gets mm-hmm. weaker and weaker with him. It's almost like something changes in huh. his attitude. You know, he takes seven years off from filmmaking, which huh. I, I just was reading up on him, and there was a seven-year gap between whatever he did before Descendants and Descendants. Okay, and I was just like, oh wow, that's a long 
It's a long gap. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. Interesting. Well, but before I forget it, okay. I do have to say that even though if you went downhill, as, as we kind of agree with you, mm. uh, he captured something so great and had such a singular vision, yeah. but it's also very relatable. I think he's like a, like a people's director, right? It's not very, it's not esoteric at all. Right. But that while I was sitting yesterday at the commencement, mm-hmm. I realized, and you know, again, I'm not from this country and all this new to me, but I always liked Alexander Payne even before moving. Mm-hmm. It's like, I realized, whoa, I'm sitting in the commencement. This is elect, like, this is a very Alexander Payne at, at his best environment. <laughs> right. And I, and I realized, oh, this is a first part of it felt very election. There was a valedictorian Tracy Flick character giving a speech. <laughs> like literally, yeah, very, it, it, I just, I'm not going to tell any speech, but the feel of it, just the whole thing, the kind of petty president sort of p- patting himself on the back while actually just like uh, surrounding herself on the stage with um, all this very kind of sort of people uh, from miserable and very like hard backgrounds mm. who like finally made it and managed to graduate and they're all in the stage and she in her she's like this I don't know the, the present it's kind of like a financier some kind of horrible Clintonite figure who is telling their their stories uh, of, of suffering and all in her voice uh, and basically showing how Hunter in a way saved their life and by proxy oh. kind of hurt I guess she saved their lives oh. you know if you're and, and I, again I don't want to like I'm not trying to undermine the effort of those um, um, underprivileged I don't know people who have suffered horrible <laughs> Uh, I don't know. There were like horrible events in their life, from like drug addiction to being in prison to being like uh, separated from parents. Or, I don't know, being like undocumented uh, immigrants. All all kind of things. But the fact, the way it comes together in this American narrative, mm. like both American dream and this like upper middle class kind of mentality, and at the same time, I don't know. This uh, uh, how how you even put it? The, the weird pattiness of it all in the mm-hmm. end. Uh, it just. It, it was really felt. It really felt like Alexander Payne film, okay. but unraveling kind of <laughs> stage. And there's like a weird kind of victim washing through. Yeah, <laughs> you know, through the Clintonite kind of the Clintonite elites right. are trying to legitimize. I don't know if I really try to go full on on it, legitimize themselves uh-huh. and appear like much better people than they really are. They seem like really kind of actually horrible sharks uh-huh. through connecting and <sighs> surrounding themselves with this kind of almost like victim shield, shield human shield, yeah. you know? If you, if you put like 30 people on stage next to you and Hillary and kind of like praise them for right. this like a few hours and tell their personal horrible life stories in your own voice as if it's like it's cha- it just I don't you know what it's very Amer- it's weirdly American it's kind of like individual rise from the dirt and well while at the same time the same people they're like undercutting teachers salaries adjuncts mm-hmm. get paid nothing at the same Hunter College because like you know I've been working there as well and I know what's going on right. and kind of fucking people over while seemingly elevating uh, or at least not really elevating but like praising the efforts of the few who could like pull the themselves so so by so-called true strings i mean it's insane it felt like insane and and at the same time very very pain very, yes very like, very sounds like you, you have another you have a film there i think you should run well it. it just keeps going no it's changed it yeah. just keep it's like keeps going but yeah but anyway but well, that's but, um but, and let me just i meant to ask you like that, what was the reaction yeah. within within your program to your film I mean, did people? Oh, to my film. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, yeah, that's actually kind of one, I guess, the, 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 some of the fun of the funniest parts of the season show and the whole thing. Uh, first of all, the, uh, the, the dean or whatever, no, I guess it's called the director of the program, mm. the integrated media arts, and then probably the whole art, just like uh, film, whatever, arts and science department. They didn't, they didn't want to allow me, they tried not to allow me to do this, <laughs> of course. But, <laughs> but the trick, obviously, like I was so persistent. And uh, the trick of it is that um, the program is somewhat like, it's an, more academic program uh-huh. than I think than average film so what you do for thesis is not just like make something like like a film or installation but you have to write an academic paper in my case like um, I forget how long it should be what mine is like something over a bit 20 pages mm-hmm. and the paper itself and the kind of like the academic part of it can kind of like can force you through it because like I pitched it as a very and it is serious kind of I wrote a serious paper about this whole endeavor and you know, the kind of theoretical part of it all and how you know what is reality was not how people 100 years ago or even like 50 years ago were all kind of talking and discussing this and it like went away and blah 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 and the mani- manipulative nature of it so in, in short I think it all kind of became possible because I sort of was writing and selling it also is a mm. pretty like straightforward kind of like academic uh, <laughs> research or whatever yeah endeavor in some way wow. uh, so <laughs> so and I, and I had to in one way or not because you have to write something right, right. This, is a, this is a program like that which is actually pu- becomes public I think you have to upload it it's probably already uploaded and it's, it has to become like a usual you know academic papers are public there on some kind of system so that's going to be available for everyone if for everyone to see. But I think that's why it was popular. If, if that was perceived fully and only I could say that it's some kind of like satir, like, you know, jokey, whatever it means, spirited, let's say thing. Right. It wouldn't have necessarily worked right. because there was this like <laughs> this thing coming along. Like, uh, yeah, in a very kind of. I just seek okay, that one here. I'm just a young documentary filmer. That's great. Yeah, but not as a film, but like a student. And I'm like, whoa, what I discovered. And, and, and you know, that's the thing. It's kind of actually a bit like confusing for myself too. It's partially, it's true. That's how, that was my way of discovering. It's not like I, it's not like I was some kind of mature person knowing about it. It's also <laughs> the paper I wrote and then partially how I sell it is blend of reality and fiction because it is partially true and I do mm-hmm. wonder about these things. Probably not in this like naive kind of sincere way but I do wonder right. you know, about all this ethical, <laughs> I don't know, all this matters. They're real so it's not, they're not like invented problems. So when you had, so, yeah, anyway, so when you showed the, they the, hated me. They, is, and that, that was true when you showed the film to the to the what? Well, yeah, the, that's another the thing. Yeah, yeah, to kind of like the screening yeah, I think the people <laughs> who like really didn't like it or hated they just like completely ignored me afterwards uh. because like again, you know, the college is pretty more or less like passive aggressive or polite and, right. you know academic so they just wouldn't like say they, they basically wouldn't be a direct attack uh-huh. ever it just wouldn't say anything but I do have to say there was a direct attack too which was I think like a perfect ending the director of the program who was also uh, at the same time my like second advisor because you're supposed to have three advisors right. on your thesis project here and he was a second advisor he was so he knew all this happening he saw, he saw different cuts but somehow like the, the at the screening and after the screening during like Q&A I I guess the whole performance of it and that it was jammed between the other documentary films and that I wasn't serious answering the questions of Q&A and answering something like um, to his question about what for, for, for all of us graduating filmmakers what is the process of making our thesis how it affected us what's the outcome I kind of without thinking said um that it really helped me deal with trauma of being like at IMA in the first place <laughs> and I feel much better afterwards he 
was said that he was extremely offended. I said, it's just a joke. People laughed and people did laugh. And he was telling me he didn't think it's a joke and how much he did for me behind the scenes for make to make this oh project go through all the doors. And I think, come on, people liked it. What do you mean you did for me? Like, you oh know, to, for, for the, and he was like offended. He said he was basically <laughs> could not take any any of the jokes and was legitimately legitimately kind of almost like shaking when, with anger. Oh my God. And acting very unprofessional. And that's, at this point, I don't care. It's like the direct, like, what are, yeah, I think that he's the director of the program, not just the director. I'm like, whoa, this is this is this is hilarious. Damn. This is like a cla- classic kind of <laughs> prank outcome. That you is do beautiful. Something and you get you kind of like touch the painful spot by accident too. I'm kind of actually wasn't necessarily planning or thinking, and then you you get immediately the response because you would you would you would think people would know how to like how to respond, um, well, no, respond and, it, and be funny and actually yeah. can like laugh back well yeah no. and who doesn't talk about grad school is a traumatic experience everybody oh my god that just means he's been living in you know you know in, bubble. in a bubble of ass kissing mm-hmm. that's almost unbelievable yep. <laughs> that's what other people thought is like whoa he like the e be also classically he's like this why <laughs> god i'll go there cisgender <laughs> Male, <laughs> do you know the program? I don't know. He seems ass kissed all the time. Who knows? It's, I don't like. I don't kiss his ass. Never did. But so that's. But he maybe he maybe never expected yeah. you to you know to, to take to, that tone to, in public yeah. where you're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that. But just to since I'm telling all the stories and it was so, it, he almost got into the fight with Yasha. Oh no! Way. Oh, we should have noted Yasha Levine is uh, Evgeny's husband is in the film playing the wheelchair bound homeless man. So he's brilliant. He's brilliantly great. And Rowan Wernham, a you know, family friend, um, is also in the film playing the documentary film. They're both so good. So you directed them so well, Evgenia. I, I don't know where to put the credit. Thanks, All great. Um, but I, I should let's plug their film quickly. They're doing a great film called Oh Pistachio yeah, you should, yeah. Wars. Um Mm-hmm. It's going to expose, believe me, it's crazy, the, the pistachio industry in California, which is helping to completely wreck California, um, you know, taking all of the water, denuding yeah. the landscape. It's going to be a great film. They're, they're finishing it up now. But anyway, quick plug. But yeah, now how the fight. Hell about no, 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 but I do have to say, like, yeah, the plot, it's kind of very mad. I imagine so they are working on a film and they are in this comedy, <laughs> right, too. Right. I mean, this really, uh, anyway, that's the whole meta level that's happened by accident. Uh-huh. But yeah, but the fight, I guess, should I, I mean, it's also Hell, becomes almost so petty funny. gossip. <laughs> okay, but since and you've been a professor for many years, you kind of can relate, <laughs> yeah. but also not really judge how is it even possible such unprofessionalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight with Yasha happened not because of the cell of my comment about trauma and just being like a bit like, like funny and like not uh, not very I guess super uber asking and respectful uh-huh. but this is like was a separate thing imagine so there's like a semi not a big audience but there's like a the movie theater where it's all screening and mm-hmm. uh, he the director of program he's also introducing uh, I think most of the projects that night and um, well he's like introducing me and I've been there in program for three years and you know he's also been my advisor and all this and he repeatedly cannot pronounce my name correctly Ooh. repeatedly my first name which is Evgeny whatever it's like Evgeny he, repeatedly and, and that's fine and uh, I think Yasha from the back first yells something like the right correct pronunciation of Ganya he still can do it and it's kind of like I think people find it funny it's in good nature I'm not offended at all I find it funny and then once he can do it again I think Yasha says like come on like she's been here for three years like <laughs> Come on, like what? And people laugh at it because, yeah, come on, three years, and also there are foreigners in the program. It's not a very, uh, it's not like only, uh, you know, some kind of like John Smith kind of program. <laughs> really not. Really, there are like interesting names. There are like uh, all kind of professors um, 
with for foreigners as well. So, and he kind of like still not apologizing mm-hmm. after that comment, but being super defensive in public on stage saying, oh, but she never took my class. But I'm like, but you're my advisor. Oh. And then and then it gets into this weird public altercation just in a jokey. We thought jokey way. Uh-huh. It's like, well, come on. But still, whatever. There was like back and forth. And he's and then he again cannot pronounce my no. name <laughs> while giving a little speech. And then my friend, Hadley, like my friend was sitting next to me uh, from New York. And then she yells like the correct pronunciation, which at this point, I mean, just comedy. Come on, it's funny. And whatever. It's like at some point he, I guess, could pronounce it right. And it's all seemed like seemingly forgotten. Mm-hmm. But no, after the whole screening Q&A and more offenses, I guess, perceived offenses, not real from, uh-huh. from me. He, um, me and Yasha comes up to him to just say bye. I think it's all good. And he's just shaking uh-huh. with anger and telling how in his 30 years of whatever academic experience and different, uh, I, I, probably not only Hunter, he never been hackled publicly like that. Hackled? hackled? Dude, you can pronounce my name. Like no one was tackling. It was and he says <sighs> that could have been done in private afterwards, blah, blah, blah. But he never apologized for mispronouncing. He never thought it was like funny what's happening which I thought right. it was, it was. Right. and he was just basically kind of like I don't know he's this kind of like uh, slightly overweight tall kind of guy kind of shaking with anger <sighs> with his little, little still wine in his <laughs> plastic glass Dear at God. the after party <laughs> and and Yash is just like well come on relax so basically we're we're almost kind of where the soothing we usually kind of <laughs> not necessarily the calmest people but just tried to soothe him oh. and he just wouldn't wouldn't he couldn't calm down oh. and that's the head of the dep- measure oh. what this shit show this is like, this is the head of the program I'm like well this is cool this is quite an ending what's gonna happen after and then I kind of realized I mean I guess it could have been happened if I because he was really angry but I I mean I could have like managed like yeah she kind of moved away oh and by the way when that conversation started happening people just disappeared from that room with (laughs) drinks and food still like you look around and you're like whoa people are just like what first of all shouldn't they just watch and god even if something happens but second whoa they're like pussies what the hell they were like guys there and like disappear it's like empty and me me yasha yeah but anyway i think it's like this whole it's almost a continuation of the, the film itself you need it's to like do it it's how so epic and that great. keeps that kept going the fight did not happen so i'm not gonna like lie about like and exaggerate but he before I even left and still tried to sue them didn't I didn't attack him and say, uh-huh. oh, no, it wasn't hackling. You should have apologized. I was like basically doing my best to just sue the situation. He still told me that it will take him, his words, I think one to two days to even calm down. Dear <laughs> to like, Lord. I'm like, and that was my last. I'm like, what? the? But I have to kind of, why not share this and say I have like some kind of media. Well, and I just don't know how, he, how does Insane. he survive as a teacher? I don't know. If you're that fragile a flower, I don't know how he can I do think it. no one... Well, but don't you think again? I don't know how, what Berkeley was like, and I, I might be, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm a polite person, but I guess I'm probably not like oh, a big no, ass totally But like, roll with the punches all the time. I had a guy show up nude in my class. Oh. I had everything happen. You got to roll with it. I was totally. Oh, what calm. do you do? I was totally calm. I'm like, man, no one's gonna want to sit next to you, so just be prepared. He went. It just deflated the whole thing. He went and sat in the back row, got looking more and more embarrassed, and then sidled out. But, you know, the, oh, I had right. a TA so- who was horrified. He wanted me to call the cops. He wanted to have a huge. And I'm just like, no way, man. This is Berkeley. Okay. So so you have to, you basically you make a you joke, have to be, you handle things. You handle. Yeah. Yeah. But then, okay. Then, then, because I thought, what if like, if you're an academic environment in this like bubble and you like being a full professor and all these things, which you've been, which has been, it's like, what if it completely shuts you off from any 
perceived mockery or some kind of pranky like not what if it because i guess not but like in this case it's also who knows what is this ego trip people can be on again probably is not a lot i guess he's found a a way i just wouldn't have thought i mean i would have thought if he could be so so upper that he was out of teaching for years or something and that protects you no 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 very very successful in this environment you know like i don't know what it means to be successful in that environment but like kind of functional and you know yeah i don't know that's having meetings wow he must be living a life right on the knife's edge of sanity because i don't know how you maintain that pose of i'm so offended someone's said something aloud while I was on yeah. stage. Called Damn. me out in public. Just apologize. Also never apologize. Uh, just, well, anyway. every, what's even funnier? Everyone murders the names. Because, you know, in Berkeley, we have people from all over the world. You're going to murder a bunch of names. For sure. So you You're going to butcher it just from the beginning. I'm going to yeah. butcher your name. Please correct me and I will I will write down phonetically and try to read it. But, you know, you just... It, literally every graduation, the kid has to hand the person a slip of paper with their name phonetically spelled out so they can have their name read sort of right. People still murder it. But yeah. it's just an on anyone at a university that has any kind of pop, you know population internationally is going to have these problems. So how he can be a newbie at this is just baffling. I don't baffling. Know. But also the, the fact the most the biggest thing is not even with the name per se, which is, is funny, but like that you can take a joke directly right. at yourself. How do you publicly. live, man? How do, How do you, you live? live? <laughs> How I mean, where do you have to be? Like, I think you learned that pretty quickly. That's like that's, there are jokes sometimes at your expense. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, to all it of happens. Us. <laughs> anyway, but that's okay. I think this is like a full story. I think it's kind of funny. I don't know if it's anyone great. is specifically no, entertained have... by it. But this is, I mean, this is continuation of the film. That's how I thought. It's like, wow, it keeps going. It is it's perfect. It's the, and it is the greatest <laughs> set of gone. graduation <laughs> stories I've ever heard in my life. So you should be well, very, yeah. very proud. But you know, but, yeah. But yeah your problem of like well not problem but you know issue of like how to how to make films within the program it's interesting when you look at like the films that other people made you know famous now famous mm-hmm. directors and how well they did or how poorly they did you know Alexander Payne actually makes this unsparing you know film and actually gets immediate interest and immediate success and all that but he was in Hollywood in the fictional program where people probably have better sense well, of maybe, humor yeah. <laughs> it's, important. it's actually yeah. extremely important and kind of are ready I don't know there's that element too that's um, but like sort of a, an are. example of someone who also yeah. does really well and, and is a perfect example of like the film the type of films you talked about you know in your program that that would have uh-huh. would have been embraced Kerry Fukunaga if you know him he did a version of Jane oh, Eyre yeah. um, he's mainly been yeah, yeah, doing yeah. kind of really prestige TV stuff lately like truth truth what is it like true detective, true detective he did, he did maniac he's been doing a couple uh, he, I don't like him I don't know what yeah, you think I, of him. I liked his Jane, yeah. some of his Jane Eyre but I admit I haven't watched just, you know, he's he did the second year of True Detective, which was so bad. I watched one episode and was like, yeah. out, I'm out. But he did do a short called Victoria Paracino, and it won mm-hmm. a Student Academy Award for silver. I think it's silver medal in, in narrative or something like that. But, you know, and pretty clearly went imme- got immediate interest, immediately taken up into the industry. But it's actually, I admit, but he did exactly what you would do. But he just did it very, very beautifully. I think he must be you know, have gotten great training in cinematography or something because he's very talented mm-hmm. or, or he's working with someone who does. But he do, it's a film about, you know, um, it's going to be immediately embraced. It's about an actual incident of an attempt to smuggle um, um, some uh, Mexicans across the border in one of those horrifying vans, you know, you know paid paid guys and coyote figures. And, and I guess night they wound up ab- abandoning 
um, the truck in the desert. 19 people were found dead there. The others somehow got got away. Um, but, you know, basically they were, they were killed just by riding in the conditions, you know, incredible, in, in, you know, incinerator mm-hmm. heat and all the rest of it. He shoots it really, really well. It's very it's very tense. It's very tight. Other than the truck and the people, it's going to be a very, you know, so in other words, he did a lot of smart things, but also a lot of like, you know, this this is the thing to do um, mm-hmm. if you want if you want people to to admire i mean it's like a it's not a it's not a super risk taking thing it's a heart struck it tugs your heartstrings obviously it's a really harrowing situation um it's a true life situation it's handled very reverently you know those kinds of there's certain guaranteed things that you can do that where you can see like Thema- you mean thematically yeah exactly like, yeah. Yeah. um that are the and even just formal handling you know the you know the way it's handled is it's both harsh yet very reverent about the situation that that you know and it's a good film i have to admit did it very well but it's like it's interesting to see which which student filmmakers who tend to get really fast immediate results um as far as praise and everything else uh um what what choices they make so you know uh, there's a really annoying example you should watch it it's christopher nolan's um doodle bug very short i i saw it it's like five minutes yeah like really short yeah and he was mm-hmm. at university college of london and he does this film that's so it's such clever boy shit that you want to just slap him because of course it's going to be like everybody's favorite little film because it's so clever you know it's a guy it's clever it's a guy I have to yeah, admit. you have to admit he's a guy mm-hmm. who's just trying to kill a bug and you, you and, they, and then when they identify the bug it's a little tiny miniature version of himself and then when he finally kills the bug i.e his little self you see a big looming face of the of the guy behind him so he's in this endless you know <laughs> regress of ever bigger versions of himself killing his bug self um and so there's a kind of you know there's a kind of sophisticated um visual kind of trickery that of course he's going to import into later films it's very him, yeah. You can see it's like all very like sh- he has a shtick, it's a shtick, and he applies it. But it's it. so well done mm-hmm. that you're like, God damn you, I fucking hate you, but I can see yeah. we're gonna do well because that was all so smart, and it was. It was so smart. Contained <laughs> in, a, in an apartment, all you need is a you know some rundown little apartment. One guy, you know, it's amazing when you when you watch a million student films, the, those basic yeah. things. Find a way to to he does all these clever shots even in the beginning that are you know have cool. It's in black and white. Cool lighting you know do all that stuff to showcase that you can handle that kind of thing different types yeah. of shots different types of cool cuts different types of editing but in a very contained manageable space i've literally seen i think it was still when i was still teaching at chapman university and where there's a production program um and i had to watch endless student films and and one of them was somebody trying to do a civil war battle scene well, mm-hmm. who can do a civil war battle scene you know i don't know how is it possible you know how much money do you have you got to somehow get mocked up uniforms which he somehow does they don't look at all authentic you've got to cast a thousands you know you're just like like going guns the whole you're just like man what and of course it it falls apart and it doesn't work and there's it exposes all of your weaknesses and you're just like what are you thinking and who let you make that film who was advising you so insane so people will do the most impractical things sometimes and just really come up part of the scenes but nolan fucker but christopher <laughs> nolan i have to say <laughs> yeah well i see you're not a fan like you're not like a genuine he, fan you, know, you, no, you respect a, the craft i'm definitely not he has a, a craft fan. he annoys the hell it's crafty it, yeah it is very crafty <laughs> and he's generally crafty but like you know i think the film that really gave him the chance is not dual back mm. he managed to do a movie with almost no money with friends like 
free actors following. Did we talk about it? No. I think it's even on Prime. Uh-uh. He managed to make like a feature. Wow. Uh, before Memento. Memento was already financed, mm. blah, blah, blah. But the feature that he took into, I think, uh, festival circuit and that um, allowed him to get some like money and produ- interest of producers is falling, which is, an, is interesting. Black and white, uh-huh. again, very, very smart and uh, does the best with like uh, very, I guess, I guess, low, no low budget mm. kind of situation. Um, and shoots with almost just like, if you really look at it, almost just natural light next to the windows. Do you know what I mean? Oh, right, like really yeah. low. I think really low. He's yeah. like, that's, you can give it to him. He's really smart with He's like that. Smart. He like uses what he can yeah. and uses it to the best. It still looks great. But it's about, it's kind of formally interesting. Even story-wise, it's almost like a detective story. It's about like a young writer, kind mm-hmm. of like a poor, poor, and I would say loose, but like a creative young writer who just like um, I think unemployed and just walks around London and follows strangers to kind of get some kind of material for his writing mm-hmm. you know like just basically people watching but like in a very kind of creepy way and soon he just starts following a guy and this guy turns out to be a thief and he's smarter than him but it seems like he befri- the thief befriends this writer and decides to kind of takes him invites him to come along to the apartment robberies and uh, to get this you know he wants the material mm-hmm. he can get it and he just can follow along but it becomes as always with Nolan I won't up I won't I don't want to like uh, kind of talk about the right. ending and the shtick but it basically becomes not what you think it is the thief uh, knows way more than you think he the writer probably didn't just accidentally follow him but it was some kind of like uh, you know he was lured in some one way and it gets darker and darker and darker from then on and in the end while you finish watching you're like whoa the, it's exactly what you said it's the same feeling I had well Nolan like you see the craft mm-hmm. and you see how what a smart kind of like almost like an asshole he is <laughs> right. like literally you can see that and yeah. he can, really has like the craft down even like he doesn't necessarily need only like I don't know <laughs> half a billion dollars to make a film he can have very little but it's like I wouldn't necessarily it's like I, there's nothing from that film with me oh you know yeah what I, mean? I don't it, even know that, what that's I exactly it's right. like an ex, it's an exercise in mm-hmm. in just i don't know like intelligence i guess because there's intelligence yeah. intelligent thought there and the trickstery there's something weird feeling to it i don't know what yeah that's and then, then his later films i guess prove that he's like you you probably can has better have, you have better way of talking about it because he's oh, like no, crafty. It's always slick. It's always you know. There's beautiful shots. There's beautiful work, etc. But I you know he just. <laughs> I'm but not he has a fan. certain themes. Like, yeah, yeah, but, but but I think in the Hollywood and as always he's British. Mm-hmm. In the Hollywood he's considered. Oh yeah. he is in comparison to most people. He's like a thinking man's director. Oh I know because he has this concepts and he like even Inception which I did like mm-hmm. uh, overall even if it's like too sleek overproduced blah 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 but he he like <laughs> he thinks about the world <laughs> in a more complex manner than an average hollywood director well i, I just i just can't get past what was what was the uh what was the batman memento the bat oh the bat I, yeah the dark uh what's he make the dark uh, dark knight i think he made the what's one what's the with, one with um, bane in it uh you wait know, Heath ledger bane. wait it might be with with Heath, Heath, Heath ledger that's the one he made no, no, not that one. No? I actually kind of like that one. Isn't is no, okay, the, the next one. one, the one where it's like a re, you know the revolution that has to get put down. Oh, did I even watch it? Okay, I know what you're talking yeah. about. You know what? I think I never watched it. That was the, the one dark, that I just broke me. <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises. I did like actually. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's but maybe what my own it doesn't matter. Whatever. And Interstellar was horrible too. So. Yeah. Oh, and that's right. He did Interstellar, which I hate more than I can even express. And that's what you know. There's a couple of films where I really started to think 
think I think politically this guy's asshole number one. I think this He's is some right wing Republican. Yeah, that's I think what he is. He makes me ill. Bleh. So yeah, <laughs> but but I have to say, like you know, politically, I mean, I do care about these things. But they, this politics, it's funny. Like it doesn't even line if I up. Try not to think. <laughs> yeah, no. But if I even if I don't think about it, it comes out uh-huh. through the visual, through the story, through the visual. I don't know. It's like through the even the sensibility. Uh-huh. So even if I try not to care, because like let's say I just I want to be amazed by the form right, right. and taken on the ride. Like I, I'm not trying to be some kind of Marxist demagogue. Mm-hmm. I don't care. But I can't fully enjoy it because it's like he's a reactionary kind of asshole. It's like things come through. It comes they through. Come out or it comes through with him. You know, you know a lot of yeah, cases that's a, you might, it isn't going to be nearly as bad as with him. He's not, yeah, yeah. blurg. So it's weird. You can't, you basically can't hide what you believe in. Right. This is, which is weird through aesthetics. Even though I do care about aesthetics mm-hmm. a lot, that you have nothing if you don't have the good form. Right. And it has to match. Well, here, here's a good example. And I really encourage you to watch it. It's David Cronenberg's From the Drain. Oh yeah, that's great. Because it's so it looks like it cost him 5 bucks. It's it's <laughs> there's, there's no attempt to hand you anything that looks slick or be, it's still super compelling and creepy and weird and all the wonderful things that are going to happen. And of course, he's going to make the most of really grainy, you know, really, you know, low res looking films in his <laughs> early films. They're going to be a big part of the horror. But this one, at first, I thought he was just he's just kidding around. There's two guys sitting in a drain in a bathtub. Bathtub, yeah. <laughs> and one keeps complaining and complaining about I forget where he's claiming he is. It's something like the, the Veterans Disability Center. And he goes on and on. On and on about how he keeps expecting to make some sort of human contact, some get some sort of real sympathy there, and he can't get it. He just winds up always sitting in this bathtub, apparently, with this with this other creepy dude who's always kind of smirking and laughing and pointing toward the drain because the disability center obsessed guy is sitting near the drain end of the tub, and he keeps pointing to it and smiling over and over until you're really weirded out. I mean, you're just really like, and the guy's like, "What?" and he's you know, what's the problem with the drain? Nothing's going to, you know, nothing's going to flush down that drain. I'm not worried about it. And the guy says, it's not what's going to go down. It's what's going to come up the drain. <laughs> and it's just, it's really brilliant. But literally, it's in black and white. It's shadow, but it looks as gritty and as grainy and as nothing. Like you'd be tempted to, it's like he, he was challenging whoever was watching this film to take it seriously. You know, pre-Cronenberg, pre, when you don't know it's Cronenberg and he's a student, you'd just be like, what do you doing you're doing nothing to show me quote unquote the craft here but it's really it's really stuck with me it's a really great little film yeah i did like it i think they're like he, he made a few of those yeah. in some very austere environment black and white mm-hmm. kind of almost like some kind of psychiatric hospital right? it, really, it seems like you seem like you're in some sort of yeah. mad person yeah. ward <laughs> Yeah, it kept going. It really kept I going. Think, uh, and it was just like, did he, was he like Lynch where he just managed to compel people to the extent that they'd be like, go, go with God, you do, you do you, you will even finance you. I don't know. I couldn't find anything about his years. Well, but he's not like Lynch. He actually is like, um, he, uh, he can express his ideas in a very, uh, you know, understandable way. He's like not from another universe, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, he has like pretty not standard but he's like he's like an intellectual well, sure but i guess i'm just trying to talk yeah. about him as a film student how, how, how he pushed his projects through like he's the right? opposite how, of christopher nolan christopher nolan is hitting yeah. hitting all the right notes for like see see how clever see how brilliant see how uh, how i got it down and he okay but what about the theory 
he started in the 1970s and 70s were a different That's time true. and also he's Canadian he's Canadian so he actually he, he went somewhat Hollywood later in his career but he was always staying in Canada and it's different and I think I read a few books like Cronenberg and Cronenberg uh-huh. you know this like series of like interviews director talking about himself I think it's like in Canada you get you can get finance through it's basically government media I forget what it's called but it's basically in short government money Mm -hmm. I forget what this um, board's called and so it's a very different kind of thing and so then artists used to be and probably still is supported in this like untraditional for at least America ways mm-hmm. that don't exist here. So I think that was his breakthrough overall through even Shivers, which his real breakthrough was made with government mm-hmm. Canadian money. And it does seem mostly. like the sev- you know, starting in the seventies was a real boon. You were gonna be allowed to do some wild wild stuff yeah. that you weren't gonna be allowed to do. Did you, <laughs> did you get to watch Shivers? I did. The real first like no you know I it's standard, pretty standard kind of like uh, zombie, <laughs> zombie apocalypsis in a way. Mm-hmm. But it's, but interesting. It's like the parasites taking over the um, taking over. What is it? I think it was no, it's not Montreal, Toronto. Uh, taking over Toronto. So it's like a really kind of insane, bloody horror, but very Cronenberg still. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not. It has like has the wit, the wit. Right. Oh, I need to see that one. Yeah. But it's, all this stuff, actually, by the way, for anyone, mm-hmm. is available, definitely Shivers, available on Prime. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you don't have to, like, look for it in this, I don't know where. Yeah, whatever uh, isn't yeah, already on online. YouTube, <laughs> you, can, you can actually find. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, it just seems like it's, an, it's, a, it's interesting to watch student films. Obviously, you tend to be hunting for the signs of what they're going to become if they're well known. But it's, it's also just interesting to, to read up on or think about, like, what were they like at film school? I really wanted to see the Catherine Bigelow Columbia University film, The Setup, and that just seems to be not, not gettable right now. It's weird. A few years ago, I tried to find it for you this week, but a few years ago, I managed to find. It. I think it was somewhere online. I mean, it's just formally interesting. It's that uh, you be, you read probably the description. It is exactly what the description is. There's like this boring audio track mm-hmm. of like professor talking. are talking about mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. fight, right? And there's a fight happening. And they're, and they're That's analyzing this the is fight it. or something. As it goes mm-hmm. on. Yeah, this is it. So, and again, I don't know. Like, it's formal. It's it's interesting. It's hard for me to tell because it was like back in the day. Yeah. It's like more formal, clearly formal exercise. Uh, uh, I don't know. You know, I, well, like and I'm very I, torn I about Catherine Bigelow because early, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Near Dark. Love Near Dark. You know, her early films seemed like I, I, she was really someone I could like and respect, and and then. She's just steadily got worse until you get to zero dark thirty and you're you're done. Um, mm, so yeah. she becomes truly appalling. What did you like by her? What did you like? Near dark uh, is my favorite. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Point 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 break is also amusing and hilarious. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I'm actually interested in your take because, like, um, I, I bet I'm not alone, and it might be like sound uh-huh. like directioners. But my take on her is like, I, I she's like a functional again, like crafty right director. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing I find like nothing interesting about her her films could have been made by anyone could have been like an average male director women and it's not like i, I don't think like female dress has to be immediately mm. obvious from the shots no but like i don't see basically i don't see any kind of interesting compelling or any kind of like uh, quirky anything vision behind any of her films and i i watched point break i think near i don't remember i think i watched zero dark 30 that's like the oscar winner yeah which is bad but overall what's what's her even style i don't say she's bad i say there's nothing there oh i 
don't think what, she's an there? auteur, even though I think she's made ah, big moves okay. to try to. Assist. I didn't see Strange Days. By then, I was all done with her. Oh, but Strange that Days, I think, like, is considered pretty I, cool. Yeah, she was. That was her, clearly her big bid to to have a kind mm-hmm. of auteur status beyond just really tall, really good looking and commanding woman who can direct action and genre, which was her big claim to fame. Other than what you know, James Cameron, all that stuff so yeah it was that and she always wears black leather jackets and tight black jeans and you know always striding around and then you know every time there's a woman who can do the more action-oriented genres um everybody faints dead away and can't get over it oh my god she's doing it she's doing it and then usually it doesn't last (laughs) (laughs) okay so you basically you do agree or at least you don't understand i don't think she's an auteur figure but she, she certainly seemed like much more promising when i saw near dark way 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 back than she ever turned out to be because that's is a very at least it's a very inventive vampire film a super a super right. like oh we're bringing this down into the everyday world of people who really are just cra- blood cravers and what would happen and they're riding around in a tinfoil win- you know the tinfoil covering the windows of a trailer and they're stopping in like bars in the rural <laughs> heartland and killing everybody in there and drinking everybody's blood and they're you know nasty whiskered bikers and they don't care they're just after the blood and that's one of the great set pieces scenes ever is the is the kind i think it's a biker bar massacre Uh um as they just terrorize all these supposedly tough guys killing one after another and it's just a bloodletting beyond belief but it's one of the very very terrifying and it crosses genres (laughs) between kind of vampire and what i don't know slaughterhouse slasher kind of um um qualities genre subgenre qualities i gotta see it's good it's it's very good yeah, I got to see it because like um, from what you described, it seems like you probably would agree. There was this big, um, uh, I don't, I, I won't say big, but like a Twitter big mm-hmm. controversy that Brad Easton Ellis uh, tweeted something like that. Catherine Bigelow, I guess he watched maybe like one of her newer films or whatever. He tweeted that um, because she is um, a really hot attractive woman is considered a really great director, but if those films of hers, whatever, how many of them were made by just like a, a man, she would be, or the films and, every, and the person behind them would be considered just like a down the road average filmmaker. And yeah, I read you that. I, I think thought, it's I hate to admit it, yeah. but I think it's kind of true. That guy's an asshole, but it's kind of <laughs> it true. Asshole, yeah. If she weren't yeah. so kind of amazing looking um, and a woman. Uh, and doing, and you bring all these things together, and it really is true. She gets lots more attention, and I think lots more praise. I, I have always thought she's yeah. overrated from the time she really okay, became a big you're Oh, hugely. She's very, really weird. But then, like, I mean, good for her. I mean, I'm not, I just thought that tweet was funny, and I was, I don't know. I, but I, it is kind of true. Yeah. If you took that same collection of films, I think that person would still have done well. But would we be falling all over ourselves? Would she get half as much publicity? No, she would just be working, or he, or whoever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is, so it is no questionable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy, this stuff is interesting. But yeah, but he got. I mean, sure, he's like an asshole, but he got so much schluck for that. But like, whatever. You tweet stuff. Who cares? Why? Why well, do you have to be? You're not wounding the most. Perhaps the most. Success, probably the most successful female director. Your cue can't hurt her. She's a made woman. <laughs> you know, nothing's yeah. gonna. Nothing bad's gonna happen to her. Um, <laughs> so just taking one small pot shot, even though I hate to side with him on anything because he's such a dick, but. 
you know, in that case, that's not a wrong pot shot. She she gets reams of publicity and I think more awards than she'd ever get. Um, for yeah. sure. Enough of her. Enough well, of her. We have time to cover. Well, maybe Todd, did I didn't get to yeah. see Todd Solance's fear, anxiety, and depression. I, but I did oh, see one remark right. he made where he just didn't want to talk about it because it was such a painful experience. <laughs> he, he never wants to talk about it. It's <laughs> hard to find. want to see it so much. Yeah. Very hard to find. You have to download from Torrance and this kind of actually really poor oh. resolution. There's like, no, unless, I don't know, you have to find probably some kind of DVD. I don't know. But basically online, it's very poor copy, which I do do have. Mm. Uh, it's like, okay, it's like his, it's Salon's real first feature film because a lot of people think that his first feature is Welcome to the Dollhouse, mm-hmm. which was a big Sundance success right, and all right. that. But no, five years before that or even more, he made, that's his first one, Fear, Anxiety, Depression, uh, coming out of NYU. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's a thesis film, but it's like a first feature. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, he it's the only film where he actually is acting and he's the main character Mm -hmm. which i do think he's kind of good good at acting Mm -hmm. at least like playing version of himself like like woody allen does while watching this film you would think like oh there's like a new woody allen in town but then no like this film has no i don't know no success almost zero i guess uh very low like distribution mm-hmm. and salons himself is very um in the end of it uh it's, it doesn't want to talk he's, he basically thinks it's like an embarrassing film and after this film he just goes to teach for a few years or how many uh english uh as a second language to like russian immigrants oh. in new york somewhere i think that's how <laughs> low he felt i don't know what's the reality of the actually of of the film mm-hmm. and did people really hate it because in short i actually did like mm-hmm. it i thought for first salon film it's a very um there's like salon's element it's fun it's like he plays a young uh playwright kind of i'm not sure if he's in new york does he still live with his parents i don't remember but basically he's kind of like trying to break into the profession <laughs> he is a fan of uh beckett and writes the kind of like letters imaginary letters to him mm-hmm. And uh, he's trying to produce his play and he constantly like writes it. And he has like a friend who is like a visual artist, uh, who's like a good looking guy with a hot girlfriend who is like an aspiring actress. So it's in short, it's a very kind of New York, just New York art scene film. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it takes place, what is it, 1989? So it's, I guess, a bit more fun New York than it is now. Mm -hmm. So there's like at this point, there's like a timepiece quality to it. And um, basically, it's just like a very Woody Allen-esque kind of environment where everyone kind of in the end sleeps (laughs) with each other's girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Like uh, there's like, constant some kind of relationship problems like the guy has like uh, problems producing his play when he finally produces it has like horrible reviews and then um, the actress has to go back to some kind of southern buttfuck state she's yeah. from I'm like retelling at least the plot uh-huh. the plot lines which probably doesn't strike you as a extremely original but it's done with such feeling that it's it's a really fun film and I, I'm not sure if Salons wrote like songs for it it's very musical they're like weird song numbers that are part of it there's always which you would recognize in his later films there's a character who's like a dark girl mm-hmm. you know like a cool girl which he probably could never get right. another frequently character like that in his films and that's even in the first one and she is um, some kind of like performance artist named Junk <laughs> and <laughs> she's exactly like any other Selma Blair character in his later films <laughs> it's like, like storytelling or dark horse or whatever she pretty much like doesn't doesn't even have any transformation or change that, <laughs> right. that specific character and character of Todd Salons in this film tries to like get with her but then his hot artist friend 
uh, managed to date her and Solange obviously fails at any <laughs> at any attempt. So there's, I don't know, I mean, what the way I describe it is a kind of like comedy, tragic comedy uh-huh. of manners and being a loser, artist loser in New York. Right. And uh, I bet films of that kind of at least thema- theme, thematically have been shot many times mm-hmm. since then and before then but this one it's I don't know it has you know if you do like Salons probably if mm-hmm. Salons fan you definitely like it because it's it has all the elements it's like a kind of really tragic comic and sad and everyone is pathetic mm-hmm. and uh just uh, there's no kind of no one is a winner basically right. it doesn't matter how good looking <laughs> you are or like I don't know as artists they're kind of like uh, just uh, hacks uh-huh. no one is no one has any chance. I don't know. It's it just it kind of life is meaningless, and what's the point? And I don't know. And I and I guess it was his like Beckett fandom stage. Oh. And I think it, and I think it ends. Was Beckett alive in the late eighties? I'm kind of I now feel dumb. I can't remember when he died, but because you know. I wonder if he was alive. Then the the, the plot twist makes some sense mm-hmm. because Beckett finally responds. Oh, really? To this young playwright, yeah, yeah. I mean, just narrative. In the narrative, though, yeah. In the narrative, which I guess if he was alive back then, it, I don't know. It's more. It's different from watching it now. Mm-hmm. When it's, yeah. Oh wait. Ooh, whoa, this is crazy. Becca died in 1989. He died the year. year the was made. <laughs> okay, so it was, I guess, done as a kind of okay. Becca is alive. He's a big uh-huh. kind of theater, yeah. uh, <laughs> theater play, playwright. So he responds to him, blah blah, and supposedly it's like advised him to keep writing, even if he's current play sucks <laughs> so, again it's sort of the whole movie uh, almost uh, many scenes has salons himself in it uh-huh. I don't know I wonder if that's why he hates it I don't know it's like a weird it's a, a bit weird narcissistic artsy thing uh-huh. which he would never do again do you know like he would never be right. in the shot whining and whining and whining it's a very Woody Allen right. thing so it's, it's surprising that it's even existed do you think, but do you think there was any deliberateness about that or it's just a share I have no clue have no, I have no clue because you know like the first film NYU like I wonder if you just he probably I, I would just imagine he probably recycled and like sort of reflected on his own mm-hmm. fear anxiety and depression because mm-hmm. he's been a playwright his movies feel like a playwright mm-hmm. movies in this fairly sincere way mm-hmm. on screen he probably just brought the story he knew in and later films are way more I mean it's still the world obviously he knows all his films it's like a little dirty pond mm-hmm. of suburban, <laughs> yeah. suburban New Jersey right, right. but at least they're a bit more like not a bit more they're more imaginative it's, he's not in it it's not art world mm-hmm. it's more suburban middle yeah, class yeah because that's so one is like New York art world yeah New York yeah. art world and, and being really concerned with high culture recognition and all that it seems so yeah yeah so, so Woody Allen it is narcissistic mm-hmm. and Right, and he moved away right, from, from it. it. Yeah. So I think well, I wonder if that's why he has because been like people can't pull it off. And I again I say I think he pulled it off all right. Uh-huh. I don't know. Did, I don't know what happened. I don't know the story of it. Did the audience hate it? Did, yeah. did the distributors drop it? I don't know because it seemed like it should have worked, worked fine. Better. And Woody Allen kind of again references like it would it would only be a positive right, thing, right? Because people yeah. like, oh, new Woody Allen town. Like, oh, <laughs> like, this is a new one. But, but no. So again, I don't know yeah. like too much of the story behind the the failure of that, as he says it. But but yeah, but it definitely stands out. And again, if you, if people who are like his fans and want to watch him on screen acting and acting kind of well, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, this is, this is kind of a jam. Wow, yeah. I've got to get back in there. But so I'll stop running. But so out of the sort of so-called thesis films, I think I kind of, 
like his and it shows all the most of the elements are there all the patternness and depression yeah and there's there's, um, there's so yeah. many but it's and it's really gets seductive at first i was just dreading it because my whole experience of having to do it especially at chapman university like we would just get so many films to watch that we had to judge and evaluate it was awful and most of them are just the vast majority just so atrocious it it's it's, it's an uh, agony everyone dreaded it every year um that this is an actual pleasure you're of course watching you know the ones that have kind of the, you already know you're kind of interested in and you know they're yeah, already you already know these people actually made right, it right <laughs> they made it and you know it doesn't have nearly the 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 rank desperation and lack of talent obviously that you're usually looking at so it's just it's it's a much more marvelous exercise than i thought it would be but the ones you had to watch and chop and where they look the short they tend to be short right they're not well that, there was actually a rule i believe that you had to mm-hmm. stay under a half an hour i think i think it was okay i mean the rule for shorts is anything under what under an hour right I don't know. I think hour. I think yeah. it's under an hour. Yeah, um, fifteen minutes maybe. Yeah. So the passion of Martin just 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 makes it under. It's like fifty two minutes or something. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you tended to just go look at the ones that were whatever thirty minutes or maybe maybe you were allowed to go up to up to an hour. But you looked at the longer ones and just groaned. You know, you tried to watch all the short ones oh, because you're just yeah. at least the agony is short. Um, yeah. So it's I, I always felt that you know I wasn't in charge of the production classes. I was I was in film studies which was the ghetto and you know got no attention and no one liked us and you know we were, we were completely ostracized but uh, i still had to do judging because it was it was work um but that no one would just tell them the, the even the the sort of christopher nolan rules of be a smart filmmaker it was like they would do all the yeah. dumbest things that are going to extend you way beyond what you could pull off with no money and what resources, what resources that's have. what yeah. i mean and so you'd always mm-hmm. just be like why would you pick this like some huge like acting challenge but the, you're not going to be able to get a great at you know it's all that kind of stuff where you're just like ripping your way you know you you need jet planes and you need you know all this crazy shit they'd be trying to fake up and so it was like no one was even explaining to them the rock bottom basics of how to do an, an effective short so that was just maddening mm-hmm. a maddening level of incompetence when i especially when i started at chapman university which is now a big name school it's often like considered the fourth mm-hmm. the fourth film school people sort of you know plan to plan to get into if they can and when I started, it was absolutely nowhere. So basically, they they, huh. they got a huge donor and bought themselves a, a film school. But it was, you know, a travesty of a place, a travesty of an education in many ways. Wow. For, and by fourth, you mean after NYU, USC, USC UCLA, and then sometimes Chapman mm-hmm. is, or often Chapman is the fourth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not even Columbia. Okay. Yeah, maybe fourth or fifth. But, you know, yeah, it's yeah, at no. least in the running of like where, okay, where okay. you might you know, choose to go. But that's only in the recent yeah. years, yeah. Speaking of, of film schools, just a side note again, mm. it feels like when people um, tell you, oh, what a great, oh, that you should go to film school or, or a film school experience is great, what they really mean, I finally realized, it's like you should go to NYU. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I don't know, it's like actually when you say, oh, great film school or how valuable mm-hmm. this can be, that people literally mean USC or NYU or whatever. Like, I'm not even sure UCLA at this point, but it might mm-hmm. be. But like, really like just a few schools that have the industry connections. That's exactly it. And that is what you're tending to pay for, um, right? Is access. Yeah. I don't think there are many people praising anything. Well, there can be great filmmakers formed or like a tours outside of film school environment, obviously anywhere. But people who go to film school, I never hear them praise anything if they didn't go to NYU or I met like Columbia too. I think Columbia 
Colombia MFA people also like kind of like praise and fans of their alma mater. But but outside of that, it's really just film school means NYU. Well, and it's a nightmare because I don't know exactly where it is now, but for many, many years, the, the numbers of people wanting to go to film schools and the number of schools trying to develop film programs escalated mm-hmm. hugely and they became these huge cash cow places. And I'd always just be like, where are these people going to go? <laughs> there aren't jobs. There aren't even jobs for all the people in NYU and USC and UCLA who want that. There's this... There, they don't mm-hmm. exist. So, well, commercial directing, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's other related option. media. But that's m- not mostly. The vast majority of people think they want to be directors or maybe screenwriters. But, I mean, there, there's very few people who go to study sound, for example, or, or anything practical where you might be like, no, I just want to be a key member of the crew that they really need and nobody studies. Everyone wants to be, you know, whoever. You know, AFI kind of has this professionalism to yes. the almost insanity. I think you can't study, okay, probably not light. You study cinematography which includes lighting you study screenwriting mm-hmm. and you can be only screenwriter director oh, director oh you can You're- in most programs but it's just like the number when the numbers for admissions come in the vast majority want to be directors and yeah. it's tiny numbers God. who want to be in a lot of I have to say, <laughs> this is ripe for comedy really and i've been this my, i'm not separate but this is so ripe i mean this is there's just so oh, much there needs to be a film school com- confidential frustration satir- yeah, satirical just, like, oh absolutely and you know even berkeley has which you know the rule was since ucla in the uc system university of california system had was the big film school then berkeley was supposed to be the theory school and that's how it was for mm-hmm. the film studies school but there's so much pressure on the part of the students who all want production that they keep including yeah. more and more production even while they're trying to hold the line and so it's this ridiculous tension that goes on yeah. and on there that they don't know how to really resolve and they don't really have the funds to build a major mm-hmm. film school but that's what the students really most of them um agitate for so there is yeah. this huge compulsion to go it, you know the joke was it became like essentially the, the the default major for so many students that to go to well often called media media Directing programs them. now they all instead of, they would have once gone people who didn't want to know what they wanted to do would have gone to a communications program or maybe in even the english department but now God. if they don't know what I to mean, do they go to they go to just media film and media i do have to say and obviously i'm not like any authority on that but i believe that overall studying especially production not like a f- history or but the, trying to be directed as an undergrad mm-hmm. or it's just completely useless. You have to live alive a little bit <laughs> you know, or study something that has, I don't know, like whatever, the film studies, at least it's history or study history or study some culture or study mathematics even or physics. It's some, like, I feel like it has to happen a bit later in life. Sure, sure they're like extreme like talent like t- very talented right. artists and it doesn't matter for them all this what i'm saying or whatever life experience which is cliche but there are a few of them i think it still takes a little bit to form oh i agree i do have some kind I, of not how you do it but what are you actually looking at and what are you saying so it's almost like it's such a racket overall oh, the undergrad media programs so is. <laughs> it is a racket so i'm like well i hope i hope at least like I hope your parents are rich if you're doing this. I mean, <laughs> parents, Chap- like, Chapman, know? when I left, was charging, what was it? It was something astronomical at the graduate level, like for the MFA, hope, like 50000 a semester. Not, and 
Yeah, but I hope people are not going into debt. For oh that. yes, you know oh, what yes. I mean. If they do, it's like Jesus. How will you ever pay God. this off? Exactly, it's madness. Sometimes it's like if you have to. Uh, I don't know. And that's MFA. At least people are a bit older, so it, at least it fits my bill that you probably know a little bit more. Well, like of your it's skill, whatever skill set. Well, it's interesting though that you said just to go back to what we, what you said. You, yeah. you some life experience or some wider cultural experience that that became yeah. a, an argument being made by some of the professors in at Chapman when you know who were on the admissions committee where people are saying we're getting t- people who are terrible they don't know anything about film except films they've seen and liked in the last 10 years uh, so they have nothing to, to do when they come in they don't know to do anything but imitate like I don't know Michael Bay's latest or something and he's like we need we need to start drawing students from other other areas like they, they're studying yeah. something at least they're studying something different it might have read some stuff like anthropology or literature something and of course older students who have some life experience would also be good too i don't think it really caught on because frankly you know the people who are in charge of chapman university really did want to just funnel people straight into the industry in the most uh, in my mind anyway um reductive and kind of dumb way but it was it was an argument i was kind of in favor of we just weren't getting people who had enough experience or higher any levels of interest in things that are interesting to who could be good filmmakers and you know at that time the big crisis at chapman was they had no one they could brag about they had never turned out they were a really lowly film school they had never turned out anyone who had a name and in fundraising and getting better students that's one of the first things people ask is whoever graduated from here and so they were desperate to get somebody (laughs) Who do something, you know, AFI can always say David Lynch, you know, you that's what you, you know, NYU can say Scorsese and Spike Lee and a million people. Um, so what do you do when you don't have any names? So they were killing themselves trying to find somebody interesting. <laughs> God, it's anyway, that probably proves it's all a racket. Oh, it <laughs> is. And they, parents would ask right. naive questions like, well, how is my son or daughter going to make a living when they get out of here? What jobs are available to graduates? And and the dean, to his credit, I hate to give him credit for anything because he was a bastard, but he would say they take whatever they can get when they get out. This is not to say they can't go on to have good jobs, but if you know anything about the film industry or the media industries, you tend to start because it's so competitive at a super lowly level. You just have to like wonder at people's fantasy life that you think you're going to march into a job that starts at, you know, 200,000 a year, some crazy ass shit just doesn't happen. It's like winning the lottery. Those are your chances. If you aren't connected or can't get connected in a hurry or, or have like uh, immense talent happens. Like, yeah. Occasionally you get a Lynch, you get a David Lynch or or someone who's just a wow. Almost unaware. The more unaware, the better. Yeah. Go forward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, we have to wrap it up. But before we, but I have to say though, like to, to, yes, it's an exception, but it's in some ways proves my point. For instance, Paul Verhoeven, immensely successful filmmaker, foreign, Mm -hmm. right? He's uh, he's Dutch. He like he never actually went. I think the film school only appeared while he started making. Yeah, he he went briefly. I think to Netherlands. Yeah, but it almost never existed. Existed. It was just forming oh. Netherlands Film Academy, because, or it just was, or it just formed. So it almost was not really a developed thing, like it was in America, right? There was no real industry. Okay, there was no film industry, right. even if there was just like some kind of film school where you can have a camera. 
but he he was trained a mathematician he either has a master's or even phd in math <laughs> he was supposed to be, his parents wanted him to be just a professor and he was good at math mm-hmm. but so only i think he started making movies closer to the late, very late 20s or 30 and he made this film that is still i think that's what besides this been a very fun cool film mm-hmm. and i love it turkish delight or turks fruit it's still the most high grossing dutch film he made it in 1973 oh, wow. today. Wow. No one, like, how, what a loser. Kind of, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, come on, you can't. No, I, I don't want to say they're losers because it's a great film. Probably it's hard to make something mm. like successful, but also smart and funny. But literally just no one made anything necessarily bad Roma famous within within uh, Netherlands since oh then, which is like, what, over 40 years. Yeah. And that film was like huge box office success. And it definitely like opened kind of doors for him and it was kind of a fluke a little bit it's based um i think it's not written by him mm-hmm. i forget like a screenwriter that um later worked with him as well can remember his name also dutch wrote it and, and he directed it within the first uh or the first or second um role of Rutger hauer and he plays the kind of almost in a way himself a very kind of good looking asshole <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he has a profession there which is not acting but being a sculpt a sculptor uh-huh. kind of like a lewd sculptor <laughs> and it's very it's like a, I don't know it's a very joyful film it doesn't have much really going on but it's a love story he falls in love with a young girl and uh, I think Monique I forget she's a Dutch actress but she's been in some Hollywood films too and she really falls in love with her and kind of stops fucking around and they get married but then she starts acting really weird and erratic and I think she kind of she kind of leaves him she has horrible parents blah blah but in the end the gist of the story is that they reconnect years later and it's still she's still the only woman he really loved mm-hmm. and uh uh, turns out she actually has a brain tumor and probably had it oh. back then when she started acting erratic. And I mean, y- y- the film would be still enjoyable mm. if you know all that. And she kind of dies from like the brain tumor with her shaved head and he's like with her even after all these years and her uh, her leaving him. And she kind of dies in his arms. And I don't know, it's like a beautiful, I mean, it sounds a bit almost like sentimental, but it's not because mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing <laughs> Paul Verhoeven does well and he's never as sentimental he he can get at a real emotion without sentimentality mm-hmm. which is the only which is i believe the only way to actually get it in emotion mm-hmm. yeah it's a great little film it's not i mean i don't know it delivers on what it, on what it promises which is this kind of like sweet but edgy love story of that description sounds I mean, just a love story but <laughs> yeah. dark, you know he has dark sense of humor. yeah it doesn't have a happy well, ending and that he that he connected with rutger rutger howard that early wow that's a fine. That's like, yeah, I don't, I wonder if it's hard to find. I I, I bet I kind of probably pirated it of Torrance a while back, but I wonder if it's available online. Yeah, I mean, but, I yeah, did a cursory thing and didn't find it, but I didn't, I didn't yeah, search but, hard. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you probably have to pirate it. Yeah, Rutger Hauer, talk about someone who should have been the biggest star ever. What? Yeah, well, yeah. he kind of blew it. Yeah, no, I don't I know. know. He blew it. <sighs> what a frustration. Oh, you know. <laughs> I know, but but yeah. So that's that was another great little first, not little like feature, feature. <laughs> first, first, first film, yeah. first feature, really good. Um, well, and I have a, a dozen others, but we just don't have time. I think I think we'll post the list so you can okay, like perfect. knock yourself out. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we're done. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
I'm tired. Oh, me too. My throat hurts. <laughs> but it was it was fun. I really learned. I feel like I learned a lot from you. I mean, it's so sad this whole film in the if school kind of. It, it is, doesn't. and I hope I hope it's gonna morph into something that makes some sort of sense. All these poor creatures learning so much about media and where do they go with it? But um, we're living in tough yeah. times. What can you say? Tough, dark, dark, <laughs> dark times. times. <laughs> All right. Well, the uh, well, that was it. Yeah. It was our film school whatever thesis films episode mm-hmm. we'll be back in two weeks and yes and oh, oh w- but that would be exciting mm. we'll, we'll come back with actually an episode or a few episodes that we'll record from one room because we're going to meet in yes, San Francisco we're go- we have the extraordinary situation that we're actually we've we've always been Evgeny has been in New York City I've been in the Bay Area and now we are cr- each of us moving to the opposite state I'm moving to Western New York State she's moving <laughs> Here, it's so uh, cool. yeah. But I'm not moving well, yet. We might, I might come back to New York, but it's like moving at least for the summer. Yeah, yeah. But, but that we're only what are we? What are we? Five days overlapping? Something hilarious? Days, yeah, five to ten days. It's so cruel and ridiculous and funny. So we're gonna yes try to do, record a couple of things together before we are again parted by a continent here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll try to make it special, and I wonder if it's going to be a bit better and won't talk over it. That's right. I won't we, talk we'll be able over to see you. each other. I know, and I know. Yeah. I'm always doing it to you. I really apologize. I, I do it too. It's going to be way like better produced. <laughs> Let's look at it that way. So that's something we can sort of promise. Perfect. All right, we'll be back at two. Bye bye.